the respecters of all things box are back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the boxing edition, ready to snatch up your free time and invade your personal space with another dose of what Vada is now calling performance-enhancing audio. Look, there are many different styles within the boxing game, right? From from Angel Garcia over to, you know, one of our favorites, Kanadi Golovkin. This is my style, like Mexican style. This is fight. This is not game, this fight. I love fight. I love fights too, but one thing is certain, the ITC style is sure to leave you fired up as we recap the latest boxing news amid our own unique blend of humor and analysis, and this particular week offers something special as Big Red and I present a series of fun and evergreen conversations that we recorded in September, just days ahead of the Canelo Alvarez Gennady Golovkin super fight in Las Vegas. From hilarious chats to historical debates, these are discussions that were conducted ITC style as we went two-on-one against some of the biggest names in the sport. Against who? Against who? Against who? Against who? All right, all right, Teddy. Well, since you asked, we chatted with former middleweight champs Bernard Hopkins and Kelly Pavlik, Hall of Famers Larry Merchant and Joe Cortez, the fine referee. We also chatted up top journalists and fine blokes like Eric Raskin of HBO who played what it look, What's It Look Like and Primed Washed with us and Gareth A. Davis of The Telegraph who answered every possible question I've ever had about British boxing from Frotch, Frotch, Frock, we're going to call him Frock right now, to Calzaghi to Darren Barker getting up from a punch against Wash Gill that he had no business doing so. And why did we do this, you might ask, for one reason only. I love you. I make you a okay. So let me bring in my tag team partner to chat all about it, along with a brief recap of the latest news from the past seven days in Boxeo. You know him as internationally renowned author, editor, writer, but enough of bluffing his bag already. Come on, let me, let me put some water on your board. First and foremost, he will always be the protector of all things cruiserweights. Rafe Bartholomew, Big Red, my man, how is it on the left coast? Uh, you said it, Brian. You you set this up about as well as anyone could. That was just a magical day in Las Vegas. I mean, six straight threesomes between me me and you and some of the best names in boxing. Uh, let's just say it's a good thing I took my blood pressure medicine before we got into that. Wow, wow, that's a very, very saucy way to, to intro that. But it's some sound we've been teasing for a while, some fun sound that we'll get into. Man, we talked a lot of British boxing with the warlock, Gareth A. Davis. That's what I'm talking about right there. That may be one of the things where I overshoot our reach and, you know, shoot my load to a certain degree on what the public will like. To me, talking... At what point, at what point in that interview did you start to shoot it? Well, let me check. To, you know, take one round at a time, let him shoot his load, and then down the stretch, do what we do best. When did you think that the fight was starting to turn when he had shot his load? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, to me, 20 minutes of talking British boxing with Gareth A. Davis is like a goldmine. Other people might fast forward through that, like our guy James Bag Jr. You know what I mean? But that's, that's fine. I would say don't do that because he really dropped some gems, took us behind the scenes, let us get to – it really told us things we'd never learned about some of these uh, these lions of British boxing, the Carl Frotches of the world, the George Groves. So that kind of good personal stories. So I'd stick with that if you're into, uh, you know, tipping back a pint with a top bloke uh yeah so rafe personally you're you're back in la your book is still selling right can the people still find that 
Sure can. It's called uh, Two and Two. McSorley's My Dad and Me. It's on all these bookshelves everywhere, Amazon, whatever you need, and uh, please do buy it. Uh, this thing's moving, right? I mean, you're, you know, re- we're reprinting. We're going through another cycle. What's going on here? Yeah, it's still alive, man. It's still alive. It's going, and we're going to get, you know, paperbacks next year. It's, it's, it's in the life cycle. You know, it's like I'm, it's not like I'm, uh, I'm, you know, raking in the royalties hand over fist here, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm living. I can't wait until they not only make a movie about this, but then a Spanish movie in which maybe Big Red can play Big Red. Maybe, uh, maybe one day we'll hear, uh, Rafe, uh. Oloki, you are next, my friend. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Saul and you, you know, can, it's, there's somewhat of a resemblance, height difference. I'd but. give him, I'd give him notes on how best to portray the, the, you know, the, the Rafe in his twenties, you know, out, out there. Prime, prime Prime Rafe, as opposed to the current. Ugh, washed. Well, totally washed. Speaking of prime washed, Rafe, we have a new cycle to get through, which features a little bit of that in our first item for business. It was disappointing news. Luis Ortiz, the unbeaten Cuban heavyweight, fails a VADA drug test ahead of the November 4th showdown with Deontay Wilder, which really was going to be a must-see, must-watch. Now that fight's all but off. So Ortiz's A-sample tested positive for two banned diuretics. Some are saying they're used to treat high blood pressure. Others are saying it can also be used as a masking agent, Rafe, for PEDs. And despite the fact that Ortiz's camp told Boxing Scene that they have a prescription, this still looks really bad. Your initial thoughts? It does look bad. Look, um, Ortiz Ortiz has also been caught uh, doping before. He has this once, you know, 2014. It was something called, like, the Nandrolone. I don't remember oh, straight what Straight up roids. Straight up steroids that time. All right. So, so, and, th- and, and now it's a masking agent, which, you know, he, he, they've posted these photographs of his blood pressure medicine, which is the same, somehow the same medicine my father takes. Um, that, that, that is a strange thing to think about if it's legit that like a, a, you know, one of the best heavyweight fighters in the world, you know, might stroke out in the ring if he goes too hard. Um, God forbid I'm knocking on wood. Um, but, it's, uh, you know, and then the thing is, you know, this is a very simple process. All fighters and their camps know what has to be done. If you're on any kind of medication, you list it. If you're on any kind of supplement, you list it. You And if he had the chance to do that. They didn't do it. So they don't really have any out here. It's an excuse. You can choose to believe it or not. But in terms of VADA, in terms of the testing, in terms of what – uh, they are supposed to do. Uh, it's a failed test, and you ha- and you sort of have to assume that the guy was not doing it under uh, uh, under sort of good uh, good in- with good intentions, right? Yeah, right. I mean, there's no wiggle room here. Already been popped against Latif Coyote, IFE up in a first round KO, and that kind of took a lot of air out of the balloon. You give Ortiz credit; he refilled that balloon, right? Taking out Brian Jennings, he started to look like a Superman. But when you're at, when you're 38 years old, there's already going to sort of be questions. And then you get something like this happen, and it's such a wah, wah, because we were finally going to find out who Wilder was. And now instead, it's three straight Deontay Wilder opponents who have been pulled from the fight, right? You know, Meldonium head himself, Alexander Povitkin, and then there was that other guy who we can't pronounce his name from Poland who pulled out with a PED. It's like, what the heck? I mean, replacement options for Wilder have been tossed around. I mean, it could end up being Bermain Stavern. Nobody wants that fight. They had to play. They had to pay him to step aside. He was the mandatory anyway. Nobody I'd, wants. I'd that say, fight. give me, give me the the, the sloppy beef with uh, Dominic Brazil you know, oh, because boop, like boop, they, they had a little scuffle in a in a in a hotel earlier this year. You know, uh, it'll be more fun. Brazil probably gets knocked out. 
before too long, and uh, we can all go home without having to watch another Stavern fight. Dominic Boobs Brazier, Brazil. Yeah, he. I mean, he showed heart <laughs> against Anthony Joshua. It was a fun little fight before he got KO'd. But yeah, you just hate to see this. It just. It's weird though, Rafe, because I know there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there turning, you know, mixing it up, and 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 it's not like I avoid that crowd. It's just like we were shocked to find out that Heyman was ever going to throw Luis Ortiz into this fight against Wilder when that Joshua payday lingers out there on the horizon. And Eddie Hearn saying after while I'm sorry, after Joshua faces Kubrov Pulev late in October, you'll see that fight on Showtime, that he wanted to do the unification bout next spring. It just kind of didn't. It was a, it was a, sort of a a. Interesting matchmaking where we all wanted to see Wilder against Ortiz. We just didn't see, think we would see it this soon. And now, you know, he, he, he tests dirty and that's going to be the way it is. And it's, it, I wanted to find out first how good Ortiz really was. Not this way, not this method, Rafe. Sure. And I also, the other question I, I'm asking, I, you know, they, the WBC hasn't ruled anything yet. Is there some wiggle room here? For them to pull a Danny Garcia, Eric Morales, two uh. style, like, well, we don't really know what uh, what to think here. We'll go ahead and check there. We'll test them again after the fight, and uh, and the show must go on. I mean, and and again, that happened in New York too. And New York, the Nysak got a, a hell of a lot of uh, flack for for letting that go. I don't know if they'd be able to to pull, you know, kind of try and pull that off again just to preserve the fight. Wilder has said he still wants to fight, although he he also has is starting to post some pretty crazy uh YouTube videos of him just sort of like screw, like talking about mental breakdowns and, and how nobody wants to fight him. So I don't know if he's his he- if he can keep his head in it long enough, but um yeah, I guess it is do you see any chance for some funny business or is this fight off? It should be off. You test positive, yes, it should it, be off. This, this isn't day to I didn't ask B. you, should it be off, Brian? I said, yeah, well, good point. Good funny point. business. Any funny, no, no funny business, Lebowski. No funny business because it just looks too bad. It's different when you're throwing out washed Eric Morales and tainted beef. That was a, that was a card to open Barclays, right? It was a loaded, uh, Golden Boy card of like sort of very, you know, good to okay. okay stop fights. right there. That loaded. I, I, we, I think you were there. I was there. I that's why I, that's why big... I said good, good to okay fights. <laughs> loaded in the fact that it was average across the board, but Lots they wanted of fights. They wanted to make that a had Devin Alexander, Randall Bailey on it, man. Yes, I mean, yes, it the did. only thing, the only good thing about that was Kid Chocolate versus Hassan Endam and that like doing his classic, uh, you know, the clown that falls down and comes back up routine. Hey, don't forget about Paulie Cano. That was something. But, uh, yeah, you hate to see that. I don't, they better not run it back. And by the way, it's kind of like bad idea ever putting this fight up against UFC 217 over in Manhattan at MSG, which is, you know, the UFC's like top fight, fight card of the year. GSP coming back, three title fights. It just seemed like of all the t- weekends they could have booked this, why would they try to book it at going against the UFC? I think it was a fail to begin with, and maybe it just caught up with them. But we got to move on here, Rafe, in the news cycle. Tony Bellew, David Hay, you may have remembered their first offering March 4th. When Bellew, TKO 11 against Hay in an all-action Brit war, it's going to go down as one of the fights of the year. Hayes pulled his Achilles in round six, kept fighting on one leg. We will see it now a second time. December 17th, 02 Arena in London. Are you fired up for this? I guess, yeah. I mean, the the the, uh, the the first fight ended up being one of those bizarre 
boxing events that that turns into something you never thought you would see and is oddly sort of inspiring and arousing just because you had David Hay blow his Achilles out halfway through the fight and then continue like dragging that one leg around somehow trying to survive it wasn't I it wasn't exactly what it wasn't competitive after that but it was one of these spectacles where you're like oh my god how is he even doing this um the thing I don't understand I mean I'm a little curious this seems like an awfully short time frame to come back from from what they reported was a ruptured Achilles tendon. I mean, uh, you crying foul oh, play hashtag toe six months. What's that hashtag toe all over again? You crying foul play here? I don't know. I no, I'm not. I I I mean, it seemed like a very a legit injury at the time, and they show. I even I unfortunately ended up clicking on some image of what was supposedly the inside of uh, of. Uh, of of David Hayes, you know, ankle, and it looked real ugly to me. But it, the the point is, if he was that hurt, then he's coming back too soon, and um, you know, he's probably at a severe disadvantage in the fight. Hey, I just hope that I mean, look, they're all, this is a borderline hashtag old guy fight. These guys are on, now in the twilight. We're not going to see David Hay going up against Anthony Joshua anytime soon unless he really needs the money. So this is kind of a sloppy Super Bowl. I'm actually looking forward to it. The interesting news that came out of this, Rafe, was Tony Bellew saying, I thought I was going to fight Andre Ward, but Ward asked for too much money and Eddie Hearn pulled out. Your thoughts? It's not surprising. I mean, we know <clears throat> we've already heard a bit about the the deal that Andre Ward had at Rock Nation where they were, you know, he was making guaranteed purses up in the, you know, eight to ten million dollar range per yeah. fight. And <clears throat> you look at how the pay-per-views did. You look at what I'm sure HBO paid for Alexander Brand fights and, and Sullivan Barrera fights before that. Uh, those weren't fights that were generating that kind of purse money. So um, it, while it, of course it makes sense for a fighter uh, to say, look, that's not my problem. This is my, this is what I deserve every time I step in the ring. Um, but if that's the case, we know that uh, like under just normal market circumstances, Andre Ward doesn't generate that much money Very true. Uh, anywhere. Um, so he, he, he Oakland, made the decision bro. that he's not going to fight anymore. And, and promoters were like, look, we can't, we can't take losses just to put you on the air. Cause you're great. Um, wow. Look at this conspiracy theory from Rafe that Andre Ward isn't actually retiring. It's just that nobody wants to pay him the money that he wants. I like where you're going with this. That's not a cons- that seems to be just like the market reality. I mean, there was a, a, on top of this Tony Bellew stuff, uh, and we don't know what they offered him. Uh, and assuming the fight was going to be in 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 the UK, where it probably would have made good money. Uh, but there was talk well, they have of a lot him- of fans in the UK who like to go to the fight. Eight thousand at Wembley Stadium, effectively <laughs> on George Groves' chin, and flattened him in front of eight thousand. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that like boxing. That's all I'm saying with that. Flattened. I, I mean, you know, and I would, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing the Cobra get into the ring after that fight and be and, and challenge Andre right on the spot. Oh, yes. Uh, now that is, that I, I would pop for that. But no, there was also uh, reports that Yvonne Michel, the the Canadian promoter up in in Montreal, who who works with uh, Adonis Stevenson, the lineal light heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, um, saying that they also had some talks with Ward's camp and that, you know, they wanted this, this giant figure that just didn't, wasn't, didn't make sense. You know, it wasn't, you couldn't generate that kind of money from, a, from these fights without one promoter just saying, okay, I'm just going to overpay and eat the loss. And, and without Rock Nation in the picture doing that, there was no way to make a fight. And without BET putting up the money to get Ward back on TV, that was another thing. And one thing that Tony Bellew does have to, you know, keep in mind when he is facing Hay a second time. But moving on in the news cycle, Rafe, 
fresh off his knockout loss to Sri Sigetsu Rungvisai in their rematch, a devastating knockout loss. 30-year-old former pound-for-pound pound king Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez announced he's coming back, and he wants big fights, Rafael. He wants to come back in February. It could come against WBA super flyweight champ unbeaten. Am I saying this right? Cal Yafaye? I, I thought Cal Yafaye. Cal Yafaye. You know, is, is a Yemeni British uh I believe Yemeni British fighter, uh, definitely British fighting out of the UK, got his belt, has looked good. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some, there's some <laughs> backroom things making this happen out of the WBA, out of loyalty to Roman Gonzalez has made him their number two ranked fighter coming off of a pair of defeats, thus allowing him to become the mandatory for FIA or however we're going to say it, who will be fighting number one contender Sho Ishida later this month. Little bit of extra nugget of news though, Ray. Chocolatito said, if I can't make that fight, I'm not out of the market to face Japanese destroyer Naoya Inoue. And that is sort of the smaller weight Super Bowl we all wanted before we found out Chocolatito might be washed. So only 30 years old, but small weight classes, mature late, you know, mature early, all that stuff, get old early. Is this a, I don't think this guy's motivated by money. Is this guy just like a true champion trying to get off his back and prove that we didn't see what we thought we saw? I think so. Yeah. And trying to, you know, he's a guy who won, God, how many straight, won like 50 fights before, before losing, you know, before losing once. Uh, and, and that was controversial. And then all of a sudden gets just splattered in the last one. Um, yeah, I think he's a guy who is trying to come back and, and prove that he hasn't, you know, that he's not washed, uh, you know, and it's something where I don't know if boxing fans are necessarily going to give him that benefit of the doubt because of what we've seen. But the benefit of the doubt that I think that he does deserve is at least reserving some judgment. You know, I wouldn't you're not necessarily going to make him a favorite. I would never make him a favorite at this point against somebody like Inoue. Um, but at least I, I don't know Yafai as well. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a fight that that at least you you sort of think all right well maybe if he 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 manages to get back some of whatever was missing what he lost in those two in those two losses to to Sorongasai and also Sorongasai kind of has this you know a little bit of a monster thing going himself not just with the punching power not on Inouye's boxing level but just the guy takes any was, was just eating every punch that that Chocolatito a guy who had been able to hurt almost everyone he'd ever faced uh, was just and he you know so Rungusai was just like mm, 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 mm. these are this is like you know uh, uh you know Starburst yummy um it wow. was just like wow I'm gonna have to pull that sound drop for later in life <laughs> um in any case man I, I look there's there's enough you got to give guys a chance like uh Chocolatito is a great fighter he deserves another chance to to prove himself on this level. The way from what we've seen in throughout history and and in following the sport, does he look done? Probably, but you never know. I mean, he's he went through so much with that last fight, um, and he you know basically like losing his trainer that could that could be the biggest factor. So the guy give the guy a chance to come back and show that he's you know a, a, still a competitive fighter on that level. He deserves he gets- that chance to come back, yes. But as you talked about, Inoue is basically big enough to be in another weight class. He's kind of moving himself down to try to cut for these big fights. Man, I don't see that ending good for, for Gonzalez. And he did start off 46-0, and Rafe. The curse of Marciano got to him a couple fights early, right? Earlier than it had got to some of our other guys in history who tried it, right? Like Larry Holmes, Paul Spatafora, you know, Carlos Cuevas, or <laughs> whoever that guy was. Remember that guy started off like 
yeah. no, with no knockouts. What was that guy's name? You know who I'm talking about. Anyway, Rafe, that'll wrap that up. One more one liner before we hit the main event of the news is that Daniel Jacobs, after signing that contract with Matchroom Sport and Eddie Hearn and now sort of moving himself over to the HBO side will make said HBO debut Rafe that'll come November 11th Uniondale Long Island at the Nassau Coliseum against unbeaten Luis Luis Cuba Arias 19-0 9-KOs Cuba has not fought on this level yet Rafe this fight doesn't really move me I guess it's a welcome introduction come back get a win fight for him but for Eddie Hearn initially talking about David Lemieux being in this spot Step down in my eyes, big time. Yeah, well, look, th- this is exactly. I remember when when those when Eddie Hearn was here in the states for uh, Linares Campbell and Rado Rahim's interviewing him on YouTube, and this is basically what he said: he's going to get him a decent fight in the fall, and then then really aim to to start moving Jacobs through the the middleweight division. It, it was hard on such short notice to pull a big big fight, you know, especially when we hear that. David Lemieux and Cotto might be linked for sometime in December. I mean, some of those bigger but not quite Triple G Canelo names in the middleweight division are are are, are sort of waiting out other situations. You know, for on short notice, look, we, it's good to see Danny Jacobs back in the ring. He can show us that he's that he that he is as good as he looked or close to as good as he looked by you know having some form of dominant win in in this fight and then move forward. I mean, keep get, keeping guys busy is is I think my the the number one thing I root for to happen in this sport. And if they and if Eddie Hearn can pull that off, I think good things will happen. And the other thing to sort of mention in conjunction with that is you know the same month on. Um, uh, that card in Long Island on HBO, Demetrius Andrade is coming back at 160, fighting that guy, uh, uh, something Fox, the 6'5 middleweight. This is like an awkward fight. But that's the thing. Like, like say both of these guys fight Andrade and and Danny Jacobs. They both they both win. Then you, you end up having a fight between them early next year. That could be a really, really That'd exciting fight. I mean, there's stuff going on. We have movement. Yeah, and Andrade is a wild card to this middleweight division. No question about it. I have a little it. movement. Below the belt, you know, I'm I starting think you to have feel movement it. You know? Below the belt, you know, our final bit of news this week, and Rafe, you know what time it is? The World Boxing Super Series oh, quarterfinals yeah. came to Riga, Latvia, on Saturday, and some of this happened. I love it when we're cruising together. It was made for box. Respect was made for box. I love it, bro. Wow, if you task somebody to find oh, the right. worst cover yeah. of cruising on the internet, Rafe, I may have just I just may have won that bet. I may have, have just a, done that. Have a super cut, yeah. I mean, that was fantastically <laughs> awful, but uh so was the fight, Rafe, in Riga, Latvia. <laughs> WBC champion Midas Brightest defeated former heavyweight Mike Perez via unanimous decision. That's 116-110, 115-111, 114-12. It almost didn't deserve me to read the scores, Rafe, because it was a lot of hugging. And a lot of head button. Perez lost a point in round three. Brightest was cut above his left eye. I tried to watch this fight. And it was literally clinch after clinch after clinch. Ugh. Survive in advance for Brightest. Your thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm having a similar experience, you know, where basically uh, every time I have a bowel movement, I'm able to watch about one round of this fight and then uh, then I have to stop and, uh, and and figure out, I'll just catch up on the next bowel movement. Um, and, uh, you know, it is what it is with this. It, you can't win them all. Uh, I feel bad as the as the cruiserweight ambassador. Uh, but, hey, it, it, was a, it was a word. I think it was a worthy risk to, to let. Um, to let Mike Perez into the tournament, coming down from heavyweight, you know, had been a talented fighter there, all, always intriguing, uh, and, and and you know, apparently, you know, obviously had to get into good shape to to fight at 200 pounds. Uh, it was an interesting wild card. The downside of it is it turned into this very awkward fight. I mean, in in, in hindsight, you might say, man, they just should have let Glowatsky fight because he was on yes. that undercard and looked awesome. Yeah, he um, was an alternate. And Perez, you know, like you said, coming down from heavyweight, 31 years old, but he looked done, man. He looked slow. As Along with blaming the referee for his loss, he had a quote that said, I think it was my last chance. I have been through a lot. That's it. I think this guy's done. And, you know, I don't want to go long on this part, but I don't think he's ever recovered from the Magomed Abdusalamov fight, nor in a lot of ways should he, Rafe. Let's be really right. fair. You know? I mean, it, that, that, yes. That, that, was that, a war. That, that seems to be the case. Um, and also, you know, I mean, at least moving on sort of with the with the cruiserweight uh, tournament. Hey, if uh, if Murat Gassiev manages to beat uh, Vladarik in, in Jersey, uh, what, in uh, later this 21st, month? October 21st, yeah. Uh, then we're looking at an amazing semifinals where you've got Usyk and Bradis, uh, and then Gassiev and Dortikos. I mean, look, it's very hard to complain about that. We will be cruising. will once again be made for box. We're not letting any other heavyweights sneak down into this division because they do not respect box. They do not cruise for box. Yeah, wow. Well, that was a power statement right there. If we get to the end, Rafe, and, and we don't have time to break this down, but if we get to the end and it's Dortikos Usyk, I'm going to be fired up. But I won't be watching it on US TV because I don't get the channel that Richard Schaefer secured a deal with, relax. Rafe. It's not open. Not, relax, relax, right. Brian. I read that it's only it's only through, through the quarterfinals. Well, through the, the, the quarterfinals. Like, at the next round, they're able to, to find – better suitors. I wouldn't be surprised if, if HBO swoops in for some of these semifinals because we look at these, these, this is, this is like red meat for what HBO is, has done a really good job in recent years of finding that stuff that us kind of sick in the head, hardcores are watching on the streams and, and slowly bringing it to us uh, with the, with the full Lampley. Hey, it's time to do that because the quarterfinals are now being picked up by AT&T's audience network in the U S per a, a Swiss rich deal, which I, I does not move me. Hopefully we'll see this. Hey, HBO slide in, slide in, uh, tricky dicks dms there and let's make this happen Absolutely. please you know uh rafe it does go down in the dms and uh people can hit us up like they normally do b campbell cbs for myself rafe bugs for yourself we will now brian. toss it to the brian, main brian yeah brian please please before before you toss anything before you toss that uh salad Salads? Yeah, uh, yeah. i want <laughs> i want to uh, we got uh just to mention guys you know, there's not a, nothing big going on in boxing this week, but some 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 good sloppy stuff, some good exciting stuff. Oh, you got some uh, washed out in the on UK. Washed on washed crime. Or Ricky Burns, a little bit of a washed on washed crime situation, right? Wow, Rick Sterko, they're still rolling that dude out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and uh, and then you know you are, we mentioned our boy Tricky Dick Schaefer. We may even hear an impersonation of him in a second. Uh, he's got the uh, the super middleweight action going with with the other side of the world boxing super series. Chris Eubank Jr. against uh, 
a Turkish-German fighter whose last name is Yildirim, who takes wonderful, wonderful promotional photos of himself and his trainer dressed like they're in in, uh, in Rambo movies. Wow. I'm in on that already. And I also hear that, that, that Yildirim is actually a pretty tough, legit fighter, and that could be a really fun fight. So a couple things for us streamers to catch out, to keep an eye out for over this weekend. First of all, don't cross the stream. Second of all, I love Richard Schaefer, but you, well, you can't – thank you for being on our program, but you can't get me to watch that super middleweight bracket. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe our guy Gareth A. Davis will here from a second is going to watch George Groves. By the way, Gareth A. Davis is about to tell us the story of George Groves' Hello Kitty tattoo. Lots to throw to right now, Rafe. Thank you for joining me this week as we wrapped it up. You will hear now a series of set interviews from Las Vegas, six in a row. None of this dated ahead of Triple G Canelo except for one tiny thing. Bernard Hopkins giving us the mental strategy, the mental breakdown of Canelo coming in. That was too good to cut on the cutting room floor. I mean, this guy, B-Hop, when he dials in, it's intense. You let You just, you know... Open up the gates and let him do whatever he's going to do with them because you, you're not really going to change it no matter what. Well, we are throwing to those interviews now. And before we get there, two words to sort of fluff your pillow and get you over there, Ray. We out. Very privileged to be here with the ghost in person, former middleweight champ Kelly Pavlik. My God, you you got some uh, got yeah, some, some giant bulging muscles. <laughs> You've been in the weight room. We've seen you out of the ring for, for a few years now. What's going on? Actually, I have. You know, um, funny thing is, I was tired of being tall and skinny all the time, you know. Um, it, it's I'm competitive, and I kind of got into it. I was screwing around, lifting the weights, and then we had a big uh, power lifter guy who was world champ, and I was doing good. I've learned through all the years. I mean, you know, with boxing, the great thing is dieting, or, and if I want to get big, if I want to get skinny, you learn that. And uh, so I, I was doing really good, and I kind of got st- stuck on the uh, bench a little bit, and I asked this big power lifting guy, and, Next thing I know, he kind of like suckered me in, and uh, <laughs> I was working out with him, you know, two days a week, and now now it's a big thing, and I got actually I got a uh, comp coming up uh, next month. Competition? Yeah, I'm in on a team powerlifting. This is fantastic. Yeah, it's the, the world world championships in the Erie PA, and I'm not well now. It's a team thing because I'm not that strong yet. I've only been doing it eight nine months, right? And uh, I'm up to three fifteen on the bench. Uh, that's not going to ex- get us many points in that. You know, those guys over there put up uh, a bunch. So it's fun, though. It's a competitive thing. And now I want to see how far I can go with this. And it might be a little fad, but while I'm doing it, I'm going to do it hard. So. Well, you, you got a, a nice set of tats on you before you ended your boxing career. Now you can yeah. puff those out, right? Now right. I, yeah, they need some so people can see them better, I guess. Well, you walked away from your boxing career on your own terms, which almost no one does. So a couple years removed, how was that mental journey for you? You know, it was good, and I talked with a lot of people. You know, actually, my the last trainer I had, Robert Garcia, you know, he was a guy who did it even y- a lot younger than me. Definitely. Um, you know, some people just do. Unfortunately, with me, you know, at the end of my career, I went to California, which was probably the best thing I've done, but I did it at the end. When you up and leave kids, a family to go, especially at the end of your career, you know, usually young fighters who are hungry and, and are at that point, they got to make that move. They don't have kids, they don't have family, and that's what they got to do. You don't do it after you made the money, after you have the belts, and and then you do that. And, you know, we had the fights with the guys, and, and I understand what Top Rank was doing. Top Rank's a great promotional company on bringing up champions. Um, they wanted me to get a feel with the new trainer. So I fought guys like Aaron Jacobs and, you know, Scott Sigmunds and Brzezinski's and I'm kind of going. Yeah, you had Will Brzezinski's girlfriend yeah. screaming from rings. Oh, I, I mean, oh, yeah. I to ask, like, during, I was at that fight. Were you hearing that? Oh, my God, like, yes. Uh, I was just actually, I, I seen him at the uh, Mikey Garcia fight yeah. in New York, too, and I was talking to him. 
But, uh, you know, I, I got to that point, and then they, they had the Andre Ward fight, which I was totally stoked about and, and, like, ready to go for that fight. And, unfortunately, that's when he got that injury and right. the shoulder injury, and he was out. And there was no meaningful fights after. I mean, I'm not even talking world title fights, meaningful fights. I mean, a lot of guys were already contractually in an agreement for fights, and my kids were really giving me a hard time every time I was leaving. I mean, I'd only be home for, like, two weeks, and then I was gone. And uh, it, it was just one of those things where I kind of, this is a sport where you, if you don't have it fully 100%, especially at that level, it's a horrible hobby to have. That's and You, you don't, don't hear boxing, this kind right? of yeah. smart actions taken in the sport exactly. enough, so that's great and, to hear. And God knows, I mean, the, and it's frustrating, you know, the rumor, like, why I did. And they're funny because I haven't, I was fortunate, you know, I haven't had to throw a punch. I haven't had a punch of time clock, you know, or anything for five years now. And uh, I, I enjoy it. Do I miss it here and there? Yes, I do. I miss. I get the itch a little bit. Um, but that's all a matter of maybe hitting the bag or something like that. And, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. You know, I stay active. I stay busy. Um, I've had investments. I got the podcast show now that we're doing. Oh, tell us about that. And yes, I got the, the Punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez. And, you know, it's on YouTube. You can find it with, by putting that in. We do our Facebook Live, Twitter. And we have an iTunes also that we're on, and it's a fun process. We're only we're only uh, shortly into it, you know, eight months now, but it's uh, it's fun. That's cool. Um, you know, and you're talking about getting the itch sometimes. I mean, this this week, this is your this is your division. It's the middleweight. This is you know. Do you? Uh, what do you? Uh, I guess you know. What do you, what do you think about it? Um, what would it have been like if you, you know, if the ages matched up and you were, and you got in the ring with, with with either Canelo or Golovkin or some of this generation of middleweights? I think it would have been great. Um, you know, there's just a lot when you get into like from my standpoint when I'm really trying to break fights down. Yeah. It sounds like I'm being a hypocrite or I'm talking over something else because it's hard to really explain to people the different things mm-hmm. that that could take ha- or that could happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of favor Canelo in this way. I don't think he's going to, I'm not saying he's going to win, but I lean towards him. But I don't know if in my time, if Canelo would have done anything in the middleweight division or if he would want to make that. That's a great point. I mean, you got to go back and think. You had guys, uh, Taylor was 6'1 and a half. I was 6'2. Bernard Hopkins, 6'2. Um, even your guys that were shorter were strong, thick, natural middleweights like Arthur Abraham, Felix Sturm. And they could um, punch. I mean, Abraham could punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah Miranda. But Miranda was God. six foot and hit harder than GG. You know, just wasn't as tactically sound right. and, and as good as Triple G. But uh, that, that was, you know, so you had fights uh, that was lined up. Now, unfortunately for Triple G, you don't have that. You mostly Kel Brook, he had a fight, who jumped up two weight classes, like I had to against Hopkins. Um, the last, uh, Danny Jacobs was the only really natural middleweight that uh, Triple G had to fight. Uh, it's just not his fault. It's the way it happens, and every weight class in boxing has that period of time, and believe me, eventually he may end up getting guys that you don't want, but you're talking about uh, Charlo coming mm-hmm. up now, who, yep. again, is a junior middleweight, so it's not his fault. I don't know. These guys, Triple G would have fared well because he's, he's a natural middleweight, and he's got that power, and it would have been uh, a heck of a thing for that weight class. Honestly, I would have loved the fight. Um, you know, I'm a humble person. I don't say I would have beat him. I let the people make that decision. But I would have loved the fight. You know, uh, Canelo, I don't think would have been really relevant at that weight class, or would, or at least it was somebody able to come down on his team 
for you if you didn't move to that weight class. On your initial rise, I'm talking about coming up through Zertucci, Miranda, and then to that big fight, the, the first Jermaine Taylor fight. There was so many skeptics along the way. I was a fan of yours. I was skeptical. I yeah. didn't know if you really had the top level chin, if you really had. But it, my point on this is each step of the way, it was like, oh, this guy is for real. Oh, yeah. next step. Oh, this guy is for real. Did you, okay, obviously you were confident. Obviously you knew you had what it take, but was it, did your confidence grow with each win or did you know three fights before that you had what it take to win the middleweight title? I knew that I, I knew that I should have been farther ahead than what I was. I mean, we got to remember it took seven years for me to get on HBO, and that was in 2007. You know, when I fought Zartucci, the same year I won the world title. So it was a hard climb for me, and and I was I knew I was a lot farther ahead than what they gave me. But I don't care what anybody says or what fighter says. Yeah, you always got things in your head like, yeah, but I haven't been in against this level, this level, this level. And uh, it, it does play you like you know you're a bad dude, but you don't know to the extent. I knew after the Miranda fight because of the fact that people forget he was the most feared fighter in boxing. I mean, he hit like a, a monster, and he was the Triple G. Then uh, after I beat him, I kind of went out out the window. Um, yeah, he broke Abraham's jaw at his, at his peak. Right? Yes, and he had knocked out Chad Dawson in in training for. for <laughs> yeah, I remember he beat an Alan Green, who was a very good fighter. You know, not saying that. Alan Green's a Hall of Famer, but he was a really good fighter, and he, he beat him, stopped, stopped him. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'd say after that fight, because of not getting dropped, not even really getting buckled at all in that fight or hurt, and I walked through his best punches, mm -hmm. and I said what I was going to do in the game for our game plan, and I backed him up, and not only did I beat him, I stopped him in the seventh round brutally. I knew after that fight that I was the person. You know what I mean? Um, wasn't cocky about it. Wasn't overconfident. I went in a training camp. Obviously, as you can see with Taylor, you know, I got dropped in that second round, and I came back in the third round and threw 94 punches. You know, all right. Um, don't fast forward over that moment because we've oh, had yeah, Steve yeah, Smoger on here before. Okay. The great Hall of Fame referee. Okay. Yeah. He served. He was there. Your fight, first fight with Taylor. One of his greatest moments is that he gave you the leash. Yes. To let you walk that out. Talk about that moment. You get dropped. How? How? much are you in your own head at that point what's going on yeah it was a weird droppage too um you know my legs were gone but mentally i was there i heard everybody in the stands i could single out who was saying what uh, but obviously I, my legs were shot um but smoger said in the locker room before the fight as long as you hold on and you show me that you're able to hold on or throw a punch he goes i won't stop the fight in that second round, I was still stumbling across the ring, and my legs weren't under me, but I kept putting my arm out. I kept grabbing on to Taylor, and each each grab got more firm and tougher, and Smoger seen that. As any referee, they shouldn't have stopped it, and I was still throwing punches back, and then you see towards the end of the second round that it, they came back. Um, so he did the right thing in that fight. Some may have stopped it, but I don't see why, because I was grabbing on, and I was still there. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have him for that fight, too. But I don't think it would have been right to stop. Yeah, I'm right. not just saying that because, you know, it's me. But. I wanted to go sort of way back. I heard you, you uh, I don't know, a month ago, you, you came on uh, Paulie Malnati's podcast. And man, you, you guys were talking about you fought in the amateurs as a welterweight. Yes. What? yes so were you same right height before I turned pro? I mean, shortly. I, you know, I was only in the open division of the amateurs uh -huh. uh, almost not even a year. Yeah. And uh, I fought in the under-19s, and I won that. I mean, I, I was button that tournament. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I can't what, imagine what, your okay, power. What is, like, yeah, what is a, like 147-pound Kelly Pavlik? Wow. I mean, yeah, it's not a big, you know, it's not uh, often you stop a lot of people in yeah. amateurs, let alone national. Yeah, yeah and, uh, 
I was stopping people in that tournament, and it all hit. I think it was the maturity, you know, when you get to that age, and the power just started coming too. But I was a really slick boxer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the nickname Ghost wasn't only because I was white, but I, I used to box. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Paulie, you know, I didn't even remember him being there in that, but you know, he wasn't fighting. He was sitting yeah. in the audience. And uh, yeah, I walked through it. That was 147. And then a couple months later, I, I turned pro. And uh, you know, I signed a contract with Top Rank at 17. Wow. Uh, and it was it was pretty uh, good from there. Amateurs was a, a good career. You know, if I would have stuck around, I'm sure I would have had a better chance of making the Olympics. I, I mean, I was one of the youngest kids on the Olympic trial team. Yeah. So yeah, amateurs was a good run. Were there any like you know amateur like any any guys you fought back yeah. then? Or you had great fights with, or you remember particularly? Yeah. Well, Jermaine Taylor yeah. fought. You know, again, he was it was a difference. I was a 17 year old baby with only like 70 fights, yeah. and there was a kid that was four years old or so older than me with international experience. Um, I fought guys that I fought the pros too during both year who was ranked. And I fought him on Showtime and, and uh, stopped him. But, okay. yeah, you know, it was just, the amateurs and pros are different, too. You get some amateur pros that you think are going to be world-class pros and, and Olympic guys that are world-class, they don't make it. Uh, you know, it is two different ball games. You had the fight, the middleweight title fight with Sergio Martinez. We're big, sexy Sergio fans. I know that may not have been the best version of you in that bout. Do you have any positive memories, though? It was a back-and-forth fight. You dropped him late. No, you know, and I, Sergio Martinez is a very humble and nice dude, and I respect him to the fullest. I talked to him after the fight. If I knew now what I could have known then, I think it would have been different. Um, if I would have went into that fight and just said, you know what, this is my last fight at middleweight, I'm not going to make the 160. I'm going to come in 161 Find me, take the belts, I'm going up anyways. That would have been a difference in that fight. What we did for that fight, they even mentioned it on the broadcast on HBO. Stationary bike in my room, treadmill in my room. It was uh, brutal to make, to make that 160. And you can see in the middle rounds, I was, I was winning the fight actually up to the ninth round when I got cut. And I figured him out. I mean, I was actually outboxing and stepping him down. And I just hit the wall. And people blame it on a cut. And I said, even with that cut or not, I wasn't going to. I was done, you know. My legs were shot from everything that I went through. And it was just not a good fight. And like I said, if there was anything I could go back and change, it would be that. And I don't want to take anything from Sergio Martinez. He did what he was supposed to do, and he capitalized on an opportunity because he's a smart, good fighter. So. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to see you doing so well, man. The podcast, the weightlifting. I mean, you walked away in your own terms, and, and you're doing great. That's all you can ask. That's it, man. Uh, you know, stay happy. Family is important, so it's great, man. Great stuff. Thank you. All right, here with the great Larry Merchant. Larry, anytime I've interviewed in the past, you're always so eloquent, so well thought out, but. You've also seen it all, so it's always great to, to hear your take on any topic in boxing. I know we're here for Canelo Golovkin, but the heavyweight division is on an upswing right now. In, is it a false upswing because it's been so barren, or do you feel like we're going somewhere with Joshua Wilder, the, what's left of Tyson Fury across the board? Because there hadn't been a top American heavyweight for a long time, there was a loss of interest. It is, in fact, one of the prime reasons that a fighter like Floyd Mayweather was able to rise right. to the top. There was a vacuum there uh, of elite fighters. Uh, the casual fan 
always got into boxing through the heavyweight champion, who in the 20th century was usually an American. And um, Wilder is the first uh, fighter who's who's uh, given given a shot to be that guy. Um, and we saw that uh, great fight in London, and and now we're hoping that um, the middleweight fight is just as good as that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Larry, I mean, over the years, you know, among the many things boxing fans know you for is the times that you've sort of been able to, you know, predict sort of the the unexpected next big fighter, next big fight. I mean, of course, you know, the famous example is when you're suggesting Manny Pacquiao fight Oscar De La Hoya before a lot of people thought that was a a realistic fight. Who are the fighters in the sport now that you see, you know, who, who haven't quite made the leap into stardom but have that potential as great athletes and, and you know, maybe boxing stars? Well, you, you can't order these things off a shelf. <laughs> and at that time um, that I suggested Pacquiao, I was intrigued because I saw a little Henry Armstrong in him. Yes. Um, and I, and there was no obvious next opponent for Delaware. And I thought, why not? Let's see what happens. So um, at this moment, you know, I think the let's see what happens is uh, right here in Las Vegas right now. This is a fight we we've anticipated um, you know I see Crawford I want to see him in a meaningful fight in, in, at the welterweight division but I don't think anything right now is ready to blow up uh, there are some really good young fighters um, you know um, particularly the in the heavyweight uh, class and you know, certainly if Wilder fights for a championship, that would be a big deal, uh, depending on how he performs. Where does Lomachenko fit in on the idea that we may be seeing a, a transcendent guy, a, a guy who can just technically can do things that others can't? Lomachenko is a, a, one of the talented um, fighters from the old... Russian or Soviet Empire who came out of that that system where they were training fighters to win Olympic gold medals for the greater glory of the Soviet Union. Um, and he is a, is a beneficiary, as is Golovkin and some of the other fighters we saw, of, of, of being uh, really good at the fundamentals of the game no matter what their styles are. Lomachenko is a high-end talent and, and uh, has had the right schooling. Whether he can make it big uh, in the U.S., I think is still problematic because the only fighters from abroad who have made it here, and there have been very few, right. uh, Pacquiao is one. Golovkin has built something because of uh, his appearances on, on American television, but he's still not the A-side, and he's the champion. Right, great right? point. So, 
Uh, can Lomachenko do it in his style? I would say I'm a little bit skeptical. He's going to have to move up and wait and fight bigger guys and make some statements there. But what's in it for the bigger guys? Why would you fight him if you didn't have to? I mean, that's the business. It's a it's a sport. It's a business, and they're not looking to fight a technically superior, fast uh, fighter when they they're not going to make any money off of him. So, I think it's a hard row for somebody like him. Uh, the, the, the 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 non-American fighters who've made it here. Um, you know, remind me of the old saying in baseball of the Caribbean and the Caribbean fighter uh, ball players uh, who don't take walks. You can't walk off the island. You got to hit your way right, off the island. Right, right. You can't walk over here or box over here. You got to fight your way over here. And um, Kovalev has not has done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure Lomachenko. Uh, will do that. Maybe uh, he will get to the next stage and realize that he's going to have to uh, uh, become more of a pressure, crowd-pleasing fighter if he wants to be, to uh, get to the highest level. Uh, and, and Larry, I mean, sort of in a more, um, you know, general, uh, you know, the, the bigger picture, uh, one of the, you know, the, the, the line that you had, you know, boxing, will never be killed and it can never be saved it's one of probably the best like one sentence description we of constantly quote it right, oh, right. can't fix it, it can't day. kill it I guess you know and, and, and I think you know it applies today it probably will apply as long as you know we're around um, do but have you seen has, has the sport has the business of the sport changed much in the past five ten years and you, do you see it going in one direction or another or, or, or you know I think we all see the fact that uh, uh, other sports um, like football and like basketball uh, have become uh, destination sports for young people, particularly for young poor people who see that as a way of uh, making their way in the world and making an awful lot of money comparable to all but a very few prize fighters. So the talent pool is not what it wants. But uh, uh, in the modern world, it's it's global. We see hockey players from Switzerland yes. and Sweden here. We see basketball players from South America and Europe. So, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, there will be a non-American fighter who plants his flag and and, and becomes star here. But I, I think you know I'm old enough to have to know that um, Muhammad Ali was perceived as, among other things, having saved the sport over a half a century ago. <laughs> so. so my experience is somebody usually will come along to right. help save the sport or some big event will happen and blow it up. You know, what if we had a great trilogy from Golovkin and Canelo? Great point. You know, um, that's, you know... What, what if hoping, we get the Tiger Woods of boxing? It could change everything, right? Well, it doesn't change everything. 
you know, boxing is a part of the popular culture. It's not what it was. Right. There was a time when there were gyms in every neighborhood, in small towns. Okay? This is how guys blew off steam after, you know, working on the assembly line or in the fields. And, uh, and from, from that quantity came quality, and from quality came excellence and, and interest. So you're never going to recapture that, right? You know, but um, um, there are uh, fighters out there, and some of them with a the big personality, and who can uh, uh, become popular through modern media. We've seen boxing make an amazing comeback in Britain that I would never have imagined. Yes. Uh, so again. Uh, you, it, it's it's a hard thing to kill because uh, people love the drama uh, and the and the visceral passion that boxing evokes. Larry, amazing! Thank you for your time. If you were fifty years younger, you'd kick both of our asses. Let's be really honest about this. Well, that would be be because you would be infants at best. <laughs> Enjoy the fight this weekend. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank Always you, a guys. Thank you, Larry. Very pleased to welcome on the In This Corner podcast a friend of the show, a friend to boxing, a friend to boxing podcasts in general, the great Eric Raskin of HBO, formerly of ESPN and Grantland. Eric, you've been, let's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to outright say you're easy, but you've worked for everybody, all right? So right. You're, <laughs> I get down. around, I get around. You started that, you, you started, you, we needed an oh yeah for Eric Raskin. Oh, that, I don't know if we're on that level. Oh yeah! All right, here we go. Rest. We got a lot, of, a lot of random things to talk to you about, uh-huh. right? We've been uh-huh. enjoying our times this weekend at the Canelo Golovkin fight. Something a little bit evergreen associated with this fight—a debate we had on this week's podcast. We want to go to you. You've been covering fights longer than us, longer than a lot of people, going back to the '90s. How do you compare the build of Canelo Golovkin and the unique aspects of this fight to another super fight that we've seen in the last five, ten, fifteen years? Is there in an equal comparison, and we had trouble coming up with that. Right, there was, uh, the people don't know that there was some DM sliding going on about this very topic, a few a few fights got thrown around. With the great James Foley. That's that's true. Polo punch, shout out. <laughs> I Chicago. tried to slide into some ladies' DMs with this, but they weren't really having it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much the ladies care about what, uh, what past fight is most similar to Canelo Golovkin. Um, so a couple of the ones that sprung to mind for me was that it falls somewhere... I don't think there's a perfect comparison out there, but the ones that I thought there are some similarities in terms of how big an event it is and to some degree what points in their careers these fighters are at, there was some, some Pacquiao-Cotto and some De La Hoya yes. Now I'm being Those are, the two those are great choices, and I'm being a stickler to find the exact comparison. My problem with Pacquiao was Cotto had been compromised physically with the Margarito knockout. Where I don't think the, the Canelo lost to Mayweather in this sense right. is much of a compromise because it was he fought a bad game plan. Right. It was young in his career. All right, but while while you while you crap on the comparison, I'll point out some of the ways in which it does work. Wow, look at this! We're <laughs> stepping right stepping right between us here. Let's do this. The, I think that there's some similarity, even though the ages are very different. Some similarity between where Triple G is and where Pacquiao was as this like rising, looking unbeatable growing in popularity force. So I think he plays the, the Pacquiao role. Cotto and Canelo, yes, the losses are... are I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yep. Cotto and Canelo. The losses are different uh, in that 
like you said, Cotto got uh, knocked out and, and brutalized. Canelo really didn't take a beating at all. But they do each just have one loss on their record. Um, right, there are more questions about whether Cotto was damaged goods coming into the Pacquiao fight. There's no such question, of course, with, with Canelo. But just also in terms of the magnitude of the fight, I don't know off the top of my head how many pay-per-view buys that did. Pat Cotto did right around a million. I mean, it was legit. So it's a right. better comparison than even... Mayweather-Hatton, in my eyes, which wasn't as competitive on paper as some of these other ones. Right, right. And, and maybe Pac- Pacquiao-Cotto actually had maybe a little more of a clear favorite. Although, I feel like a lot of people were picking Cotto because he was bigger, that the people weren't sure yet. I was picking Cotto. Right, whether Pacquiao, the fact that he looked so great against Oscar was really... Oscar, the main, if you will. Oscar. Was, that was the main credential coming into the Cotto fight that had... You know, so, so and then those first two rounds where you know Cotto was actually like you know landing hooks and you're right. like oh crap right it and was... then somehow Manny walked through them. Don't ask Paulie why. Uh... <laughs> did somebody say Meldonium? No. Uh, the great James Foley did bring up the idea of Trinidad Vargas being a pretty good comparison. I like that. Although it didn't sell as many pay per views. Right. I like the Tito Oscar comparison. And, right. The best. What what the Trinidad Vargas didn't have was that. A-side super-duper star. I mean, Trinidad was big, but, like, you look at the back on the pay-per-view buys for that fight, it was about half of what Oscar fights from that era. That's why I think you, it has to be one that has either Oscar or or Pacquiao, maybe, that, like, that, that role that Canelo now plays yes. of that A-side who can get you over a million buys. I mean, I, well, you know, the, Canelo, Golovkin, could it do 1.5 million? I don't think that's impossible. Um... You know, we'll we'll, we'll see uh, what the, what the numbers come out as. But we'll have to ask Glazer. I mean, we gotta, <laughs> right? He has the facts. He, the, 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 the numbers for, uh, were in before the fight even uh, was signed, I believe, according to Glazer. Um, so I think you know that that's why I sort of like the Oscar Vargas comparison because Canelo is similar in popularity to to where Oscar was. You know, the, that's another one where it doesn't line up perfectly, but just the magnitude of that fight, I believe, at the time. That was the second highest selling non heavyweight pay per view ever behind only Oscar and Trinidad. So, but I don't think you're going to find a perfect comparison. This That's a good point. It's a big fight. We love it. Eric, you've had us on your many podcasts in the past, whether it be the great HBO boxing podcast, Ring Theory, the, uh-huh. the all time great. I don't know. RIP. RIP, the, the great Ring Theory. We wanted to take you into our world a little bit, though, on the In This Corner podcast and how we get Give you down. a chance to tease the bag. So right. Because you know on this podcast, if you, in fact, attempt to tease the bag... You get the mess. You, you, get, you get the mess, right. you know? So, uh... I, I thought you were going to bring me into your world by uh, dropping in the wash sound effect for me. But that would be <laughs> your way to bring me into your world. That might be post-production. Uh, <laughs> you know, a limited setup here at okay. uh, We like to play a game here called, uh, what does it look like? Whether we're talking about fights we could be seeing coming up, uh-huh. mythical matchups, fantasy, uh-huh. historical matchups. Let me just say, you don't, you don't need to explain your segments to me. I listen to the pod. Oh, oh, I know, yeah. I know what this. this is. Look at this. So this is something you and I talked about at the urinals last night, <laughs> to be really honest with, with the listeners here, all right? <laughs> right. Was we, there any... Uh, was any, were either of you stepping on the other's foot? Uh, well, clear, uh, this is important. I came into the bathroom. Brian got a urinal before I did. And I made a point to not pick the urinal right next to his. You never do that unless you have to. I went, and I could have gone farther down in one direction, but there was someone there that I didn't really want to have to uh, interact with. So instead, I went the other direction, where I was basically kind of standing in a puddle of pee just to avoid being... That other person was Ann Wolf. let's be really honest. (laughs) So, Eric, here's my question. On our way to the men's room, we walked by a a restaurant at the MGM Grand, Mm -hmm. 
and the great Kelly Pavlik, the ghost, the former middleweight champion of the world, was sitting there devouring a steak. And you and I started to say, hey, it's not quite 40 yet. He didn't, he walked away on his own terms. He didn't end his career how a lot of guys end their career, right? Being an opponent and getting knocked out. Who, sh- who could he fight? Who should he fight? He probably shouldn't fight anybody, but like, who could he fight? And you and I threw out the idea of probably couldn't make middle or super middle. No. I don't think I don't even know that he can make light heavy. So if he can't, I'm, he's he's cru- I'm saying he's a cruiserweight. Yeah, so if up, we yeah. guess well, in a great, sense, I thank you for saying that because wow. <laughs> Do you want to sing anything yeah, about cruiserweight? Cruising was made for box. I, I, I love it. Well, so our question is, right now, how they are physically termed and looked at right now? Kelly Pavlik, Roy Jones Jr. at cruiserweight. What does it look like? SloppySuperBowl.com. Come on. All right, SloppySuperBowl.com is the perfect website to go to to learn all about this fight. I think there will be many washed sound effects playing if you go to that site. Uh, it's fascinating. I, and don't say you and I threw this out there. You threw this out. You get full credit for coming up with this ridiculous but you, kind of brilliant. Brian is the only person really still trying to put Roy Jones in fights. <laughs> right. He's the only one who's still down for this. Right. I, I am rooting very much against this fight happening for numerous reasons. Okay. But what does it look like if it happens? It's a really tough call because Roy doesn't take a punch so well these days. And the ghost can bang. He, he bangs, he, he's right? He's big, strong, and always had a good punch. He, he bangs, bangs, he bangs. He bangs, he bangs. Um, it's one of those things where I assume that Pavlik is so rusty and Roy still has a hint of his athleticism to where I could absolutely see Pavlik getting nothing done, even against, how old is Roy now, 48, something like wow, that. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah. I could easily see him getting nothing done. But if he gets one punch in there, a lucky punch. My, not my, not my. My crazy punch. Your lucky punch. <laughs> not my. Yeah. All right. All right. So let me take you to another matchup while we have you. Well, while me, we I can use and abuse I, you. I, I oh, yeah, right, jump right, right in, right, right. Because you know, I want, I want, I want a little more, a little more on the serious tip, but just the serious. Just tip. the tip, though. Just yeah. for a second, okay. right? Um, just to see how it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, prime Kelly Powell. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And whatever you consider prime Gennady Golovkin. Would that, what, that's, what would that look like? That's really interesting. So is that post Jermaine Taylor one? Are we going to so identify? So let's say that? like the sure. night the night that he fought Jermaine Taylor the first time. That's the version of Kelly Pavlik we're looking at. And the here. night that Golovkin fought Lemieux or something. Sure. Say that. Oh. Sure. Um, I think Golovkin has much better technique, much shorter, sharper, straighter punches. Pavlik's so rangy though, but he never used his height to box tall. Um, I feel like Golovkin's got to be able to outbox him. I don't know who's the better puncher and who would be able to take the other guy's punch better. I, we did see Pavlik go down against against Taylor. I mean, he was oh, rocked, that's true. That's know, true. I mean, so it's but Taylor, not, he's not like iron right. iron chin, you right? Know. True. But Taylor, you know, Taylor can hit if he oh, caught yeah, yeah. you. Um, he did recover from that quite impressively. I feel like I got to make Golovkin the favorite, though. I think he just has such an edge technically over Pavlik. Pavlik was really a guy who. You know, he, he had a tough time with a lot of fighters who were not on Golovkin's level. Was it um, who, who did he fight um, shortly before he fought Taylor? He had a, a fight on HBO where he was about even money. Edison Miranda, great fight. Yeah, yeah, Edison Miranda. It was on the Taylor Spinks undercard in Memphis, all right? Could, how could I forget? Um, yeah, and, and Jose Luis Sertuche also. Those were both, like, tough fights where he got hit a lot and then his power and his strength just carried him through. I don't think he could afford to get hit a lot against Golovkin and, and still be there late. So I'm going to say Golov- prime Golovkin. Golovkin would than. take his ghost. I, I, I think so. And, 
Yeah, and we saw how befuddled he was by Bernard Hopkins' skill. Golovkin, you know, has a lot of skill. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Golovkin favorite over Pavlov. All right. Let me take us more inside baseball. We, in Las Vegas, were at the uh, media dinner for, for Canelo Golovkin. We had a chance to chat with the great Oscar De La Hoya, my favorite fighter of all time. Uh-huh. Hey, what does it look like that Rafe and I have already done on the show? And one of my favorite mythical matchups is 2008, uh-huh. a junior middleweight fight. Oscar De La Hoya against Miguel Cotto. Now, at this mo- at that moment, De La Hoya coming off the loss to Floyd. Right. Cotto, not yet, got decimated by Margarito. Right, still undefeated. Just in that early welterweight run, would have to move up to 54 to fight a 35-year-old Oscar. Now, we asked Oscar ourselves what he thought, and he was like, without question, Cotto. Right. And we were like, what? I was, my super fan of me was like, Oscar, what? And his <laughs> response was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He basically said without saying that there was some distractions in his life at that time, right? He right. was a little bit compromised. He wouldn't have been able to beat that version of Kodo. Eric Raskin, I want to know what you think about that match. Or do you want to know what Richard Schaefer thinks about that oh. match? Yes, please. Oh, well, I, I have to say to Oscar, in a matchup like that, uh, he may be just beginning to hit that point at which he's a little bit washed. Dirty laundry style? <laughs> yes, not dirty laundry, washed laundry. Incredible, incredible. Um, as for my take on it, aside from Richard Schaefer's take, um, you know, I wonder how much Oscar, you know, because guys never, like, pick against themselves. They always have that pride. So it's the fact that he did that makes me wonder if it's because he's currently promoting Miguel yes, Cotto. He yes. wanted to be politically correct and pick his guy. Oscar also likes to uh, – Oscar has a thing. He's one of these guys who – in retrospect, it likes to play the self-deprecating card a little bit. Right. Like, I remember w- way back in the day in Grantland on the ro- uh, on the ropes podcast. He remember he sort of admitted to us that like what was that in. Man, I can't even remember. I mean, after Dang. saying he would knock out Floyd in their welterweight primes, he well, did say that. He, so I was he, down he with that. He does have that, but he also will he will come in and say like, yeah, oh, he, he admitted he gave away the Trinidad fight. Yes, he right. did admit that. Uh, yes, which you wouldn't but expect somebody he, to. You know, but he still thinks he deserved to win. He just regretted his strategy, basically. But it, it, he he I, he, uh, he he delves into a, a, a little. He goes like two steps deeper into his uh, you know self-deprecation than a lot of fighters right. will. But I don't know if I really believe it. I think it, we saw maybe may him you know playing into what we want. Right? We saw though Cotto and De La Hoya this week stand next to each other at that media dinner, and De La Hoya decidedly larger. Yeah, he's a lot taller. That Cotto. left hook would. And more, I think, more importantly, with that height differential, the, the Oscar jab is the key. Um, like, if you, we're basically talking about the Oscar who fought Mayweather, more or less. Yes. Unless, uh, unless Oscar, we, the Oscar we assume who fought Stevie Forbes, who was washed. So Oscar's telling us that I was washed, guys. This wouldn't be a good fight. So if that's the case, are we assuming he poured out what was ever left of him the in the first six fight, rounds against Mayweather? Yeah, that was kind of his last—not his last great performance, his last good performance. Last stand, I guess. yeah, yeah. Um, this is the last great performance, maybe the Mayorga knockout? Yes. Yeah. Where I stood on a couch in my apartment and danced. I'm not even going to lie to you. <laughs> like the, the Tom Cruise on Oprah of Ab- watching boxing. Absolutely and exactly there. Uh, I don't know. Kodo would go to the body because that was prime. Kodo just beat Mosley in a great war in 2007. That was prime go to the body Kodo. Right, Right, Rask? I mean, I don't know. What yeah. a beauty. What, what a beauty. What, what Oscar paused mid-fight to compliment Kodo after a body yes, shot and yes. say, what a beauty. Hashtag body. And then go down for the count like he did against Hopkins. Very possible that, yeah, I kind of lean toward Cotto taking him out of there. Cause, I mean, that that is prime Cotto against 
almost totally washed Oscar. I guess the only thing that's not washed about Oscar yet is that he hadn't done that go back down to 47 and kill himself. Yeah, so it's yeah. not not quite that guy we saw against Pacquiao, but if it's the guy we saw against Stevie Forbes, eh, kind of a mediocre fighter at that point. All right. all right. We can't keep you here all day. We'd love to. I know that you're a busy man. We may have a couple more to sprinkle at you. You got the time for it? Uh, let's say uh, I got about three minutes. All right, Rick, hit a rapid fire. Well, 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 we, I mean, we, we're talking about washed. Like, we got to get you in on some prime or washed. Like, okay. All right. I'll, I'll start you off with a HBO fighter. Got to uh, fight in November. And you got to be honest with us here. Where this is tough questions. Oh, no. Right? I'm an HBO shill, and I will say uh, anyone is prime. But go. Okay. Uh, Sergey Kovalev, <laughs> prime or washed? I am going to say he is not washed. We, we, that, uh, so There's a lot of washed. I'm not really right. a, uh, people. I, I'm, I don't. I disagree. But that you see on Twitter, people and, and right. other writers are like, "Oh, he's done." Right. I don't think so. I do wonder if he'll mentally lose a bit of an edge after being stopped. Uh, but he has enough fingers to point at other people and and both pre-fight and what went on during the fight with the low blows and all that he can convince himself he is not washed. I don't think he's washed. The prime or washed game is tricky because, of course, a lot of guys fall in between the two. Uh, but I would say closer to prime than washed. All right, I got one for you. And we just found out that Guillermo Rigondeaux will, in fact, be facing... Rigondeaux. Oh, you mean Ragondone. Ragondone will, in fact, be facing Vasily Lomachenko in December at the Garden. Right now, what is he, 35, 36? Guillermo Rigondeaux, prime or washed? I'm gonna, I'm gonna again say, say prime, closer to prime than washed. Probably not true prime, prime, but uh, yeah, I don't see any signs of him uh, really being washed. Okay, okay. Uh, you guys disagree? We don't know. It's, you can't tell right. what that. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unknown. The guy in Japan right. put him down twice. See, I, I, I actually am true, a defender of that performance. He beat the hell out of that guy. Yes, yeah. I mean he, 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 he. When when Rigando gets kind of he gets lazy, he gets a little bit complaint like in the ring he sort of gets bored with his own performance when right. he's, he's just beating a guy. Right. And he you know, sometimes he'll he'll do he'll lean and get off balance and just get touched and fall yeah. down. He's never hurt in those in that fight, right. even though he went down good twice. Point, good and point. he got up and beat the crap out of him. He mean, broke you, the guy's face, basically. I mean the pictures of that poor man, uh Hiyoshi Amagasa or Wow, wow. Uh, it's definitely Amagasa. I don't know if it's Hiyoshi. Wow. All right, uh, we gotta get this guy raskin out of his here. His eye, his jaw, I mean that that is he's, one of he's, going, he's talking fights. about Hiyoshi Yamagasa. Let him go. Let him roll. I mean, I'm almost like, you know, as amped right now as the Japanese announcers were what, during those oh, knockouts. No, no, no. Ah! <laughs> Eric Raskin of the HBO Boxing Podcast of Fine Boxing Journalism Everywhere. Final question. Yes. This version of Eric Raskin today, prime or washed? Eric Washington. Yeah, I, I'm going to say washed. Uh, especially when I'm on the West Coast like this. And my body is on East Coast time. What a beauty. <laughs> my what a beauty body is on East Coast time. I am, I get up at like 3 or 4 in the morning, can't fall back asleep, completely washed. I would say from the moment my first child was born, I've been washed. So wow. so we're on like 10 plus years of I'm gonna washed raskin. I'll, I'll jump in. and Prime podcasting. Little post prime as a writer. Oh wow! Not not by choice. I think eight was prime Raskin as a writer. Oh eight, like the like the when I still had the Max Boxing column. Oh yeah, wow wow! (laughs) This thing derailed quick. All right, (laughs) washed as a drinker for sure. Oh absolutely, washed as a drinker. It's long before you met me. Eric Raskin, thanks for joining us. You want to say anything to the to the fine listeners of In This Corner on your way out here? Uh, continue listening to In This Corner because it is among the two best boxing podcasts out there. The other, of course, being the HBO Boxing Podcast, so check ours out as well. But uh, these guys are my brohams, and I am thrilled to be on your podcast. Bernard Hopkins, the great 
all-time great middleweight champion, a promoter with Golden Boy. Bernard, obviously massive middleweight fight historically. Canelo, Golovkin. You, though, you've been in a lot of massive middleweight title fights. Do you have... One, one was with my partner now. One was with Oscar De La Hoya in 2004. Let's yes. go right to that. Is there a similar feeling before in the build-up to these fights? What do you remember in the build-up to that fight with Oscar? I, I remember, um, you know, that Oscar was A-side. And I was, even though the undisputed, even though with like, 15, 14 defenses at the time, um, still um, recognizing that, um, you know, I had to get more respect and also become um, more of, of, of a superstar status, like the guy in, in, in boxing. I, I didn't get that when I fought Tito um, in 2001. But I can say I got it um, with Oscar based crossover on stardom. based on crossover crossover stardom, and um, not including being on Jay Leno's couch that morning nice. um, during an interview in L.A. So, um, I mean that that to me, and, and, and what came after that, um, as far as relationships um, and contracts with HBO that I that I, I never had. So yeah, that was that that was an opportunity that um, that I, I capitalized on. And um, I would say that was not only the fight that started my career from a different side, but also why, obviously, why I'm sitting in this chair promoting a fight that's promoted by us, a good and more promotion. And, and, and outlasting, um, I would say the... People that think that maybe that you know this wasn't real, this wasn't this. How much leverage do we have? Do we really got a, a say in the company? And um, it might, and it probably was like that when everything was new. Right. But the transition and loyalty and understanding that uh, I bring more to the table as a partner or as a uh, experienced fighter, and also on the on, on the business of knowing what I'm doing and having resources. Um, time made people, for no bad or good reason, respect me. From decisions I made, even if they didn't understand it then, but as they look at me now at 52 years old, fast approaching 53, it was like this guy wasn't a fool after all. And I don't need to stick my chest out. I think the best revenge, and the word revenge is strong, and you have to use it the way you need to use it. My way of using it is my best revenge is to be successful in those who wanted me not to be successful. Yeah, that gets me fired up, Bernard, to hear that. I mean, And so that's how I am. But come September 16th, there's a nail in a good coffin. And that coffin of good is the coffin of now that boxing now is being looked at as the real fight for supremacy. I came up with the title, and I'm gonna say I came up with the title by doing interviews prior to three plus weeks ago that there is a market for anything, believe it or not. But there's a market also for a show. This is not a show. This is a fight that's more dangerous for Canelo yes. than Triple G. But we've been on this road before. I must say, not often, unfortunately, but history 
has been down this road before. And when Ray Leonard was home or ringside, he seen something that Hagler, even though one fights. So what do you see when a guy knocks a guy out or a guy's still winning, but you've seen something to say that he's ready? That doesn't make sense to the average person, reporter, or anyone that knows boxing. What do you mean? Because the win overshadows up to that, leading up to the win. Right. And it takes people that understand, very few do, that been in there. And I'm in a very unique situation. I said to Eric Gomez, who told Stephen A. Smith yesterday at the appreciation dinner we gave everybody that we appreciate, whether we agree to disagree, last night. <laughs> when Eric Gomez said, told Stephen A., and I'm putting his name out there so you can ask him because he mentioned it today at the table over there. Bernard came over to us, quote, Eric Gomez, and said that Triple G is ready to be taken. Canelo is ready to be taken right after the Chavez Jr. fight. No, not saying Chavez Jr. is lazy, but he still is a contender with a live heartbeat. I'm looking at the buildup from fights before then and the growth of one fighter who's getting better since the Mayweather school and not beating Preach. And looking at a guy that's winning but not getting better. He that's interesting. A, that's oh, the, oh, that's... oh. He, he hit a wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I have to explain to people that don't know what that means. When you hit a wall, but you're still winning or won, that doesn't mean you're not vulnerable. You just need the right jockey to control that thoroughbred. Spit is unreal. Now that thoroughbred that we had, that's happened to be redheaded. It's Canelo Alvarez. Who loves to ride horses himself. Who loves... Oh, perfect segue for horses. <laughs> gonna have to ride that thoroughbred. And it's gonna have to hold ground in pockets. And gonna have to know how to do all the experience of the things leading up to now. Where one guy hit a wall that won't make those adjustments but keep trying to knock that wall down because he's been successful with it and why should he abandon it because it's not working now, it's not working now, it's not working now. Ding, 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 ding. Round is over, fight is over, unanimous decision, no controversy. Both guys have paid a price and it's over. Great breakdown as always, Bernard. I know you got to go. You got a busy day today. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast, giving us a little insight ahead of the fight. Canelo sees something in Triple G, and we'll see what happens on Saturday night. Ding, 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 ding. Always appreciate the wisdom. Honestly, man, you can talk about anything. I listen to that. Respect, man. Many thanks. All right, very pleased to bring onto the podcast a British perspective from across the pond, a friend to the MMA and boxing community, Gareth. 
A. Davis. Some would say the finest dressed man in all of combat sports. It's a pleasure. Listen, I've got my clothes on as usual. It's great to be here. I'm making you look like my normal scruffy cousin. You look good on air. You've got that great... American psycho look into the camera, which I love. The reason why we want to have you on here is because we have fun on this show, a lot of fun. And we talk about some of our favorite fighters, and we kind of reminisce and say, what if? Look, I'm a Joe Calzaghe guy from beginning to end. I love right now that Carl Sprouts keeps throwing comments out in the media saying, yeah, I'd knock that guy out if he finally would let me fight him. In their primes. And I talked to you about this off air. Excited to hear your opinion on mm. here. Just this question for me. I don't even know if the listeners care. Joe Calzaghe versus Carl Frotch in their prime. What did that look like? Well, I think, you know, as we saw with... You can tell... I think what you have to look at is Joe Calzaghe, uh, bunches and punches, six, seven punch combinations. His father, Enzo, of course, was a musician and taught him to throw in, in these very big combinations. I'm, I'm, I'm privileged as well to say that I'm a Welsh Italian like Joe. And I was in his movie, Mr. Calzaghe. I don't know if you've wow, seen it. Wow, look at this. It's an amazing... I was one of the main talking heads. Did you play the caretaker? No, 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 no. But no, it's a documentary about his life. It. it was an absolute privilege to do it because I got to say so many things about Joe that I never wrote about him. And he was one of those guys, the most, most confident yet understated boxer I think I've ever known. And he really was brilliant. And you only have to look at what he did against Bernard Hopkins. 2008, 2009 here at light heavyweight. He would never end. lose to a white man, Bernard. I know, I know. Point. Bernard will never lose to a white man. He still won't lose to a white man. <laughs> And, and the fights with Mikkel Kessler um, and Cardiff uh, 10 years ago now, November 2007. 80,000 people at the, the Millennium Stadium, as it was then. Joe, Joe was a great character. You know, the funny thing about Joe, some of his great nights he had to be dragged into the ring because his hands were bad. Nerve, and, why, what, from nerves or just the... No, I think he had bad hands. He wasn't sure about fighting. It was his dad driving him. Yeah. You must see the movie, Mr. Calzaghe. It's made by the company called Western Edge Pictures. I've just done a movie with them that's coming out later this year as well on Oscar Pistorius. I'm sorry, this isn't an advertorial for the, for the G-Man. <laughs> just the get all your shit over right yeah, now. Wow, I can't over say now. that on the air. Wow. Why are you swearing? There you go. Why are you swearing? No, so, yes, he beats Frotch in a close fight. Frotch, he maybe even gets hurt during the fight, you know? Um, you know, gets put down. Roy put him down. That was a yeah, Roy. Yes, and also um, I can't remember. Was it Sakio Beaker? It wasn't Beaker. It was someone else earlier on in his career. Um, put Joe down. He got up, and no, he, he'd have he'd have outboxed and outfoxed Carl Frotch, but might have had to go down early in the fight. I don't think Carl was clever enough to get to him. No, Rick. Like American fans on our side, we kind of say, "Hey, Kelsaki was slap happy. He was fun to watch, but he didn't come to the USA until he was in his late thirties, right?" He didn't do this, he didn't do that. Gareth, on the other side of the pond, do they, do they hold that against him? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, the thing is about... He was very, very carefully managed and promoted by Frank Warren. They did a great job with him. Uh, the Hopkins fight... It was just the last fight. The Jones fight was self-promoted by Calzaghe, um, which caught, ended up in a court case with, with, with Warren and Calzaghe, of course. Um, no, I think Joe... You know, that's what I was going to say about Joe. It was hard to get him down to London from Wales for a yeah. press conference sometimes, let alone cross the pond. Um, no, I think he he ended his career perfectly. Hopkins and Jones, the two other great guys of that generation, he got victories over both of them. Jones was washed, although he was a little resurgent at that Oh, he was terribly moment. washed up. <laughs> terribly washed up. <laughs> terribly washed up at the time. I mean, Roy's in here today, isn't he? And uh, I hope he doesn't fight again, but I know he will. Um, yeah, Brian, one of, so Brian, one of his biggest... Favorite things is these. He calls them old guy fights. He loves it when the when you know watched. sloppy Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you see the Frotch and, and Calzaghe? By okay. the way, um, 
Joe's gonna outpoint him, and you know. Yeah, it, right? Joe's yeah. gonna outpoint him, and I know it. Um, yeah. I'm a bigger. I'm a. I, I, I love Carl Frosch, the personality. You know, the the, the sort of the bluster, the swagger, the, the the calling. You know, referring to people getting cobraed. 80,000 at Wembley, all of the stuff that comes with that. I got uh, cobra on Twitter once by him. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 te- he tweeted at me, crawl out of George Groves' ass, will well, you, he says. Yeah. And then he had 100 people saying, you got cobra <laughs> I like Carl, I got on very well with him, he's a great guy. From a very, very tough part of uh, Nottingham as well, where you know where all the mill workers yeah. and the coal workers and the steel workers of the day, and he's from a very tough family, and his mum was a... You know, she ran pubs. His wow. mum ran pubs, yeah, she's... Very tough lady, big, buxom blonde woman, and his dad was Polish or Eastern European. He used to fire arrows in the air and make the boys, the three sons, run around in the park and avoid the arrows. Yeah, there's some interesting characters from the UK, I can tell you. Um, yeah, so I was, I was, so his. Uh, what if they? Is there any circumstance in which? Curb and your old enthusiasm. <laughs> is that JB's? That is JB's. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was saying. Getting wild yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, is, is, is there any chance that they could uh, that that Joe and Joe Kazagi and and Carl Frosch could be convinced to come back and like do the, some would Joe sort of risk the old guy hour, fight or, or and get Kessler in there, do a round robin, you know, get the, just drag them all Triple out. Triple threat, old guy fight, eighty thousand. Uh, yeah, in Dreamland, yes. in Dreamlandia, yeah. But I mean, no, there's no way Joe's coming back. Joe's about probably about two hundred and fifteen, yeah, yeah. two hundred twenty pounds now. Um, you know, as I said, I hosted the, the some of the talks at the, the movie premiere up on stage with him, and no, Joe's very contented. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, the, the unfortunate thing was you have those overlaps sometimes. Joe, Joe was interested in bigger names at the time. Frotch wasn't a big enough name. And then Frotch did the same himself with the likes of DeGale and Gro. Well, not Gro's, with DeGale and a couple of others. And... and it's what happens. It cycles, um, but I don't. There's no way, no, no way they could we could get them back. Who was the third one in that group? Kessler. Kessler yes. Yeah, Kessler's talked about coming the back. Danish Prince is my guy, right there. No, he's great. Warlock, we'd like to have you on to explain some British things that we don't understand here. Wow, JB Smooth on fire over there. One of the British Curb things. enthusiasm. One of the British things I don't understand is George Groves' hello to Kitty tattoo on his left bicep. What the heck's going on there? Can you come on? George is a very interesting character. You know, he's he's into studying alien craft. Oh wow. He's into he's into writing comedy scripts. Um, God, you boys need to do your research on the British boxes. I'm giving you storylines here. No, no, George is a very interesting character, um, and and he, I can barely think. <laughs> Let's just listen to JB Smooth JB for a minute. Smooth going you know. sick right now. He's been going sick all over the room. I mean, you know. He's been chundering words and noise for the last hour and a half, yeah? He gets very excited. Um, but he was brilliant in that series with Larry David, wasn't he? I, I mean, I, I love it when Larry yeah. David... He, he adopted him from New Orleans with the floods or something, didn't he? Yeah. In, in the series. You're not and, speaking my language here. No, and then, do you watch Kirby Enthusiasm? I have not. But you know, oh, my God. It's I one of the greatest all, ever. Right? I it's watch one of the greatest series ever. Um, uh, George Groves, a fantastic character. So delighted when he beat Chudinov to win the title the other day. It was like suddenly he got this burst. Because I know how down George was. Three world title attempts, yeah? All failures. Two, three, yeah, three world title attempts. Because yeah. there was Badu Jack here as yes. well on the Mayweather Berto undercard. He would never have been able to live with himself. And something happened in that fight in Sheffield on the undercard of uh, Errol Spence and Calbrook where he just suddenly went ballistic in the fifth or sixth round. Maybe he realized how lame that tattoo is. Maybe. Maybe. It is a little bit kind of... Um, <laughs> 
I don't know, 50s Popeye, isn't it? You know, this is. But that was that that Chudinov fight was a was a like sort of an underrated fight this year. Where Chudinov, I mean, Groves got the knockout, but Chudinov was pressuring him really. He's mini Golovkin, yeah. isn't he? I mean, like he, obviously without as much, yeah. uh, quite as much power, or, but. Man, I, you know, there were parts of that fight where I was like, if, if, if Groves doesn't knock him out or, or do something to back him up, he's going to be in trouble himself. Do you know what? Those first couple of rounds, yeah. I was thinking, oh, no, because I really like George. I've got very close to him over the years. I've had times I'm really close. And it's hard to speak to him. He, he, when he lost to Badu Jack here, he didn't even turn up to speak to the British media afterwards. I kind of slated him a little bit for that. We didn't talk for a while. You've got to be honest about these things, I think. And that is one, if I can make a serious point, one of the reasons why we get on with boxers, they appreciate us being honest. And, and you have to fall out with them sometimes. And you, but the thing is about George, those punches, the first two rounds, his punches were bun- bouncing off Tudinoff like flies in a fucking windscreen, excuse my French. Give our editors a Something to do there, something to do there, editors. A word. The... Yeah, I was, and I thought, oh no, George is going to get pummeled here. And then suddenly the fight changed. It was brilliant, absolutely. I've never seen George so because he's quite a stony face character. George, I, he was beaming from ear to ear, and he said, "I can die happy now." You know, so that's great. Rafe, I got so many British boxing questions for him. I don't want to dominate here. You want to jump in? Tell me what's going like the, the people coming up, just loving on the warlock right now. Yeah, just jumping right in. I better not say it out loud. Yeah, come on. I was going to. I was, I was actually <laughs> going to say you mentioned fall. Like you know, yeah. Sometimes you have to fall out with a fighter. You know, it's right. Well, not deliberately, on. but but no, it just happens. And yeah. I, I guess like you know, story sort of story time wise. What a, are there any notable moments where that's happened in your career? Like who? Yeah. What, what are the? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, I, I I my rule is I will only write what I'll say to someone's face. Yeah. Um, that is genuinely my rule. Where, what is your hometown in Britain? I don't, I don't really have a hometown. I was born in Lincoln. My parents are Welsh and Italian. Um, I went to school just inside Wales, a place called Monmouth Boarding School and pri- private school. And then my father was in the foreign the service, so I travelled around the tough world. Tough factory town like Birmingham, you know? Like you got an Ozzy Osbourne vibe to you. Um, yeah, and I like rock chic. My toenails are painted black at the moment. Do you want to see them? I don't, but that's fantastic. But, uh, they're always painted black, you know? Um, but no, it's somewhere rock. But um, you know, it's it, no. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a privately educated, what we call public school boy. I'm, I've had a privileged upbringing, but I, I love fight sports. I yes. respect all fighters. My biggest run-ins have been well, Carl Froch, um telling me to crawl out of George Groves' ass on Twitter. Liam Smith ringing me up and saying he was very unhappy about what I said about him. Um, that he can't on take air. it to the body. No, no, no. It wasn't that I said he. he, he I, I can't remember what I said exactly, but he felt I I had said on air that he'd let his family down for not making weight. Interesting. But I, I don't I I wouldn't have said that in those terms because I, I I've interviewed their mother Margaret. You know the four boxing right. Smith brothers yes. or all pros, the, the only four brothers all to be British champions. Callum as well. fighting tomorrow, right? Callum fighting tomorrow against um, the uh, Scotland. Scotland. Well said. I couldn't say. Man, it, I don't. Know. You and European boxing, Rafe. It's I'm, a I'm, I'm, you look like you could have been um, kind of Scandinavian. Heritage. I, I well, we're gonna get into it. It's only my beard. It's only my beard. If we're gonna get into it, I am uh, one quarter Czech, Irish, uh, French, and German. Oh, you so no Scandinavian. You got no, no, Scandinavian no, no. in you. I'm no, half Lithuanian. It's obvious. The, Are you? The cheekbone, the jaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, no. And you eat goulash all the time. Goulash all the time. I gotta go on a rapid fire here. All right. One of my favorite moments. It just happens to be British boxing history. What happened in Atlantic City? Darren Barker. Had no business getting up from that body shot in 2013 against Danny Gill. Before he was washed, Danny Gill. 
How big was that moment for for the British boxing scene, considering what what? Darren's a really good friend of mine. I got drunk with him a few times. He's a wonderful man. He's one of the nicest men I've ever met. He's been on my radio show in the UK. He's just opened a new gym in the UK, by the way, a luxury gym two days ago. Do you know the story behind Darren getting up off the canvas? His brother died. His brother got killed in a car crash. And he saw his brother. He saw his brother when he was down on the canvas. Whoa, great. He so saw his brother. We talk about the. Okay, yeah. I talk about this moment on our podcast yeah. a lot because it's inspiring. Him yeah. getting up. Look, very. He's told times. me he saw his brother in that moment. How many times and have you time seen guys? Time stood still and he don't know how. Doesn't know how he made the count. How many times have you seen guys get up from shit? Like remember when Gotti, that, that Gotti is, in the that first word really fight, just only the Gotti fight. The pain in Gotti's face. It's so hard to get up from a body shot like that. Parker showed me so much. So he saw a vision of, of his, his brother of his in the brother. ring. His, his dead brother. His brother died in a car crash. Uh, he told. The family didn't want him to drive back after a night out. He wasn't drunk, but he was, he was very tired, and he died in this car crash. And they were very, very close. They drove to the That's gym incredible. every day. Their dad was an amateur boxer. The two boys drove across London or, or took the buses across London while they were teenagers. Every day they were like... It's very unusual when brothers are best friends, but these two were best friends. And when he lost Gary, it, it really affects him badly. And even now when you talk to Darren about it. But that moment allowed him to perhaps I don't want to speak for him but you know I've sat in Darren's house with him and talked about this um, to, to perhaps do something for his brother that he always wanted to That's do great. You know? That's yeah great. it's amazing alright wow. finally here we've yeah. got to ask the big question oh yeah right? so, so so Gareth A. Davis right now yes, the Warlock well is dressed it, well okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is this podcast may never see the light of day now you're wearing a vest another no, British no it's a waistcoat yeah. a waistcoat no, sorry if I was wearing a vest it goes under a shirt well another Speak fine dress Queen's English another fine dressed British man thank you the great Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn. Oh, Eddie Hearn. always so, wears vests this is, this, is, this is Brian's thing he believes that Eddie Hearn would uh, would hang know, with would, us. Yeah, he thinks that Eddie Hearn wants to hang out with us. You know, grab a pint, whatever, whatever. He lo- he, cool dude. Right? I, He's I, take I over believe America. that Eddie Hearn is probably too classy. We have this debate uh, all the not time. No, he's time. He's not classy. All right. No, Eddie's great. Wave right. thinks he's like this Ivy League type well, okay. guy who wants no, well, no business. Right. This is what this is what this is what he's not telling you about last year. Or Darren, we see Darren Barker here in Vegas. He was out here, I think, before um, uh, Cotto, uh, Canelo Khan, and uh, he's. Brian is screaming, Darren Barker, Darren Barker. Look me in the <laughs> eye, walked right away. I was going to tell him, you had no business getting up from that body shot. Yeah, yeah, inspired yeah, yeah. me. Because Darren would have talked to you like this, Brian. What is okay, it, Brian? So what do you want, So we saw Darren Mike? again so, later so, that so night. So if you can't hang, you know, I'm saying, that, you know. You, and he blew and, me off twice in one night. That, so that's a Darren Barker story. It's separate. He blew you off he twice he in one night. He did not actually, he just didn't, he probably just did not, What do you know, mean he blew you off twice I, in one night? I'm yo, Darren. And then he just kept walking. Oh, that kind of blew you off. That's Go on. Anyway, to close here, Eddie Hearn, would he be in this corner podcast? Approved? He wouldn't would be he, blowing would you off, off, I tell you that. Would um, he bro out with us, or is this guy Would he bro out with you? He, yeah. Um, I, well, I haven't socialized with Eddie because I don't... I I, I, I try not to socialize with, uh, with, with boxers because I don't want to get them in trouble for right. a start. I drink you don't a lot mix of, business with pleasure ever. Uh, Oh, oh, I do. I drink a lot of tequila when I go. I, I mean, I nearly had a fight with Coppinger in the in um, in Wolfgang Putt the other day. He had me in a headlock. Oh, I, hit him, I hit him with a knotted serviette. We, no, I had wrist control eventually on him. We went staggering backwards Making into tap. glass doors. No, yeah. but until Bill Kaplan went, stop now. It was at a media, yeah. little media dinner. And uh, <laughs> I've been told off by Bill Kaplan for 48 hours ever since. Anyway, um... Eddie Hearn, yeah, he probably would bro out with you, but... There it is, there it is, Ray. Eddie, he would, he would. Eddie, Eddie's a very slick operator. He's a really good guy to he's deal gonna with. He's going to take over he's, America, Gareth. He's going to take over America. He is going to, yes. 
I don't want to take over America, but if he does good he's, luck He's to shopping him. for vests right um, now. <laughs> but, but you see, he's grown up in the shadow of his father doing yes. it, Barry Hearn, who I've known for years and years and years. I've been involved in it for 25 years in, in fight sports. And, and, and Barry was amazing. Eddie's been sitting ringside since he was eight, nine years old. Barry came from working-class family, trained as an accountant, did a brilliant job um, as a promoter. They are fantastic promoters, Matchroom. Remember, they do 15% of all Sky Sports outputs. Nice. And there's seven channels on Sky. They do darts, which is huge over there, snooker, um, um, deep sea fishing, wow, all, all kinds of things. We're very British right now. We're so deep in the British. Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is, that, you know, they, they own a football club as well. They're managed, you know, they're, they're a football club. They're very, very embedded in the British sports scene. They're brilliant people to deal with. Eddie came up from working class. Um, Barry came up from working class roots. Eddie's been privately educated, but he's got that working class steel about See, him. I knew I'll it. tell you a story. When, 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 you know, Eddie's quite a big chap. When he was 15, 16. He's like 6'8", this guy. When he was 16. It's like Montel Jordan. When he was 16, his dad took him down to the gym and they had a fight. Oh. Yeah? And, and the, the old man hit, hit young Eddie as hard as he could in the ring. Yeah, they put the gloves on and everything. And young Eddie turned around and he hit the old man so hard in the body, he crumpled. Wow. Yeah? And the mother was outraged. That I'll they tell were you who would have gotten up from that, Darren Barker. But that's another Darren story. Barker would have got up. Yeah, but Eddie... And, 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 and Barry tells me the story. I've done it on air with Eddie. He's been on my show and talked about it. It was Barry's opportunity to see whether Eddie had a bit of steel about him, a bit of something about him. And he has. And he's proven that as a promoter. He's got a great sense of humor. He's always got time for you. You'd love him on your podcast. Well, we're going to bring up that value. story about he's his dad value. going to the body. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, no, he well, went he to went the body. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, mean, I was so enamored with this with this British escapade. I missed the, missed the point of the yeah, story. Yeah. Anyway, the warlock, you, you couldn't have been more gracious of your time. Oh, it's been brilliant. Filling in I the blanks it. of our British history. You know, so I can keep going. Better than firing <laughs> the blanks on British history. There we go. That's a great way to end it. Good luck to you on this fight weekend. Enjoy. Safe travels back. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be joined right now in the media room by Hall of Fame referee Joe Cortez. Rafe, he's firm. Very fair, though. I mean, Joe, pleasure. Canelo Golovkin, big weekend. But I was next to you in the media buffet line. Casually mentioned, as a referee, they'll kill you when you make a mistake. But at the same time, as fans, as journalists, we got to commend you when you have these moments, these career-changing moments that, that sort of allow history to unfold. That was round one, Pacquiao, Marquez, 2004, three knockdowns. You will, essentially, you kind of allowed the beginning of what was the best rivalry of this era, if you will. Can you take us back to that first round and sort of the importance of what that was for your career? Sure, yeah. As a referee, one thing that we do is we go there and do our homework. We study the fighters records, their styles, any bad habits they may have, like budding, low blow, excessive holding. We do our homework. And one thing that I tell referees, because I train referees around the country and around the world, when I give seminars, and I tell them that one thing you got to do is know your fighters and know them. And, and when you go in the dressing room, you explain, try to break down the rules to them so they don't get out of control and make your fight difficult. It can make it night easy for you if you take control back in the dressing room. But by the same token, you also have to keep in mind all the rules and all the new changes in the rules. Like, for example, back in the old days, they used to have the three knockdown rules in one round. The fighters were automatically stopped by right. the referees. Now it's up to the discretion of the referees. It could be more than three knockdowns in one round. So we, uh, we keep that in mind. And a, a veteran referee like myself at that particular moment when I was refereeing Manny uh, Marquez against Manny Pacquiao, 
it was a, a moment that if I was not prepared and, and did my homework and, and thinking good on my feet, but you can't freak out when there's knockdowns and one knockdown, there's two. Some referees say they kind of like get all caught up in the middle of all this action. You got to be cool, calm, and collective and look at everything careful, carefully because you know you have to start making some decisions. Right. And decisions, of course, going to be okay, he went down once, he went down twice. And in your mind, you got to be thinking real quick. If he goes on the third time, I'm not going to stop or I'm going to let it go. You see, we know the rule is there. It's your, it's, it's your option. So it's your discretion. So I, I watched he went on the third time. And under the first two knockdowns, what kind of flash knockdown? I mean, if he would have went down really hard on the third one, I would have not even bothered to come. I would have waved right it off. Do you look at his eyes? Is that yeah, a big tell? Yeah, you look at his eyes, and I look at his expression. I saw when he, when the glove test canvas, Pacquiao was coming with one more punch. and kind of like hit him with a punch, like more on the side of mm-hmm. Grace, the side of his head and his shoulder. And, and, and Mandy looked up at me, uh, Marquez looked at, looks at me like, hey, Joe, man, he hit me when I was going down. So I kind of looked at his reaction in his face. I saw that he was very alert. And because of that punch that Pacquiao threw, uh, he like, come on, Joe, he hit me when I was going down. So I saw he was where I said, I'm not going to stop this guy. He, he's, he's alert. He's not a concussive episode. So I, I let it continue. And then when I noticed, I said, you know what? I let it go, and he came out strong in the same round. Even right. though he got dropped yeah. three times, then he came back and won on the, on the three scorecards of the judge. He won for the next next six to seven consecutive rounds. All went to Marquez. Yeah. So it showed that he still had it. And I said to myself, "Wow, what a what a great comeback!" And then at the end, when it's all over, I mean, I had to. I couldn't believe what had just happened that night. Well, you got to make such. Like, in the moment, decisions that, like we mentioned, this affected, in a lot of ways, the fact that we ended up seeing four fights. So that's a lot of pressure on you. I mean, How do you deal with that stress? When it, it, it's not a stress situation. And it's part of your, your your job. And we know that going in there, you get out thick skin to be a referee. Yes. Because them if you do, them if you don't. I've been criticized for fights with Victor Ortiz and Mayweather. Great point. You know, where he dropped his hands to hug him and kiss him after he hit by the Mayweather. But you're not watching what, replays like everybody yeah, at home. And, right? and also, what is, like, can you go back into that moment and, and what were, you know, how were you processing what was happening? Because that was such a bizarre... Well, I mean, Mayweather I, Ortiz? May, yeah, I'm talking yeah, about yeah, Mayweather, well, Mayweather Ortiz. Yeah, Mayweather Ortiz. But no, no, see, Mayweather got butted by uh, Right, Ortiz. a very blatant... Like, yeah, very intentional, blatant foul and I had to take the point and he cut me and Mayweather lip and I said, all right, time and I... Then he hugged him. He, I apologized. He was sorry. And then he hugged him again the second time. Right. And then I, I was I did time, but as I I did time in. I looked to the timekeeper, and Mayweather he was blocking me. And with it, so I looked over to make sure the timekeeper saw me. Yeah. Time in, time in. And when I looked at the timekeeper briefly, and That's Ortiz went to hug him and hug him again the third time. Yeah, he wants to kiss him ten times. <laughs> and there's not a kissing, hugging match. So anyway, Mayweather clocked him. He said, Joe said, time in. I'm not going to hug him kid the third time. He said, you know, he played his crap on me. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to clock him. Joe said, no, time in. And that I was mean, a quick punch. I mean, you, you turned your head for a split second. Yeah, so split. yeah and, and they said, Joe, you know, you weren't looking. I said, you know what? What I was looking on that, that punch was going to come anyway. Yeah. You know, but uh, uh, Victor Ortiz admitted, uh, well, we, I work with ESPN, so we do a lot of Spanish ESPN. And he went on the air one day. He, he was with us. He's a sweetheart of a guy. If you guys know Victor Ortiz, he's a sweetheart. And he always told me, Joe, I apologize what happened that night. And he, on the air, he confessed that uh, his trainers were the ones that told him to head by Mayweather. Really? And he said, Joe, I never worked with those guys ever again. I got rid of the whole team. And now, you know, and he's, he's a hell of a nice guy. And I hope that one day he can really make it. 
Uh, he, he's a real good person. He was a good champion while it lasted. And uh, hopefully, you know, he has a good career ahead of him. But these are the kind of things that happen as a referee. Yeah. So you get criticized by the fans. And I, I, I can understand the fan, but Larry Merchant said it best. It was a legal sucker punch, you know, on behalf of... Uh, it came down to, to what Floyd said, protect yourself at all times. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. And people say, well, you know, Joe, you gave me a stretch. You got to tell me you protect yourself at all times. But, you know, this I'm not there to, to babysit these guys. Hey, you, you're a boxer, a champion at that level, fighting yeah. on pay-per-view. You know you don't need, you know, you don't need someone to remind you that either. Yeah, you exactly, know, it's exactly. a job. And, and it's a shame that it had to go that way. But, you know, Victor Ortiz was a fan favorite because of... Uh, that they were doing a documentary on him on CNN yeah. in reference to him with his family yeah. issues, with his son, with his brother. Kansas, yeah, with, the two you know, so he got to be a, a fan favorite. People yeah. kind of loved him. Yeah. And for him that to happen to him that night, they had to blame somebody. But you don't see nobody in HBO say, hey, Joe Cortez screwed up. They didn't say none of that. The commentator didn't say nothing. They just said it was a legal sucker punch. But uh, the fans hated me for that. And the other 50% of the fans said, Joe, Joe was doing his job, right. you know. Yeah. But anyway, but that comes with the turf, and I we can look back at the good moments of the Manny Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez. Those are great moments. And I look at back at all the years that, that we all the close to 200 championship fights as a referee, wow. and do it referee Mike Tyson like nine times, Chavez six times, De La Hoya six times, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, so many. And it just you know, and getting inducted into the International Hall of Fame uh-huh. that put the frosting on the cake. With that 2011. You know, uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, of the fighters. You know, was there a, was there a fighter who you, you considered sort of tricky or difficult to referee, or who you well, not, you know just just I don't well, know, their they, style or something well, like they, that? They were, Bernard Hopkins was yeah. a little bit uh, kind of a tricky guy to work with, uh-huh. but I know he was always trying to, to get whatever <laughs> edge he could. Yeah, every fighter does that, but some do it more than others. Right. But uh, Bernard Hopkins turned to be one of the great ones. You yeah. know, I mean, one of the great champions of all times, and it happens to be a, a, a great person today yeah. what he's doing with Golden Boy promotion I'm very proud of his achievements after boxing and uh, he promised his mother he was going to retire when he was 40 and uh, he kept on going for what to leave 10 more years man. 10 more years so he yeah, t- 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 tells you a lot about a fighter being a real real fighter and Bernard Hockey was one of the greatest Joe yeah. I'm interested in the mindset of a ref so you have so much to think about so much to look out for it, to protect the safety the, the health of the two fighters at the same time you're a boxing fan right to have a job at that level are there times that you can almost enjoy in the moment the significance and I say that you were, I believe that you were a referee for Foreman Moore correct? yes I did George Foreman you know comes back from the depths of losing nine and a half rounds knocks out Michael Moore in that moment are you thinking Holy cow, like, I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a surprising moment because uh, it was a punch that was heard around the world. There's a guy that was champion 20 years prior to that night and wins the championship again for the second time 20 years later. I mean, it was... Uh, but are you are you almost allowed to, allowing yourself to be a fan, too, in that moment? And no, be... you, you know, one thing about officials, not at that moment, officials got to think, judges and referees, you have to think like an official. You can't think like a fan. Even though I love the sport of boxing, but the mentality of an official has to be different. You can't think like a fan. You got to go try to be as neutral as possible and try to maintain that distance, even though, you know, these fighters are at a different level. You know, like the top-notch fighters or champions, especially the champions, you have to treat them with respect, but you cannot treat them like if uh, they're your favorites because uh, you're not being fair as an official. When, you, when, the, when the bell rings, there's a starting line, both got to start out together. If you have a favorite... 
one is already up front, so it's not it's not fair for you to to think like a like a fan. Uh, you can try to enjoy it when you go back home and sit back and watch the replay. But being thinking like a fan is very difficult. So it, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of discipline, uh, yeah, discipline, yeah. and staying away from all of that. Yeah, you gotta be like a judge in the courtroom. You, you can't pick sides. You gotta always. Even though you may feel with somebody with emotion, you know somebody got murdered as a judge, and this guy was committed to murder, and this guy, uh, the family, bringing charges against this individual. You can't stop prejudging these guys until you look at everything carefully, and you got to be like a judge. Don't, don't pick sides. Let, let the jury take care of that. I'll let the judges take care of that. Joe, I wanted to ask, you know, you were... Uh, helping Conor McGregor sort of learn the ropes, you know, get, get used to, to boxing, refereeing, and ruling. Uh, you, were, you were refereeing his sparring sessions with Paulie Malignaggi. Which became like top shelf news story uh, every, everywhere. You yeah. know, what, what was it like being in that ring with them? And I, they, I, I heard, uh, you know, I guess Paulie said that you had, you, you know, there weren't actual judges, so I don't know how you deduct points, but you, you know, were telling Conor that's a point that you, you know, what I, I were you, what I, were the deductions I, I, for? I, I did take a point from McGregor. Yeah. For uh, excessive uh, punching after the bell, not after the bell, after a break. I call it a break, and I hit him two or three more times. Hey, I tell you, it's break. You on a break, you can't throw a punch. Did you understand that? And then I go in the corner in between rounds. I go in there like it was a real fight. I was dressed as a referee so he could get the, the, a feel right. for it. Then when he really got a real taste of it was when I deducted a point during the sparring session, which you don't do normally. But I wanted to get the feel for what's going to happen in the real right. fight. Being that he was an MMA guy, and he respected me so much. He was a great student, by the way. He really listened and respected everything I told him. And when I had to scold him, like I do in, in, in the real fight, he, you know, he, took, he, he took it real, right. real serious. He knew that I was not, I wasn't playing. Mm -hmm. I said, now after we got through the session, at the end of the night, I was like, listen, see what we did in there today? Nothing's going to happen in the real fight. I'm not playing with you. I'm here to train you, but you got to listen to my rules. You follow my rules the way it's supposed to be. It'll help you and help Mayweather that night. I, I help both fighters because even though this guy caught Mayweather with a camera, yeah. hammer type punches <laughs> behind the head and whatnot, I'm surprised that the referee, Robert Bird, didn't deduct the point. Yeah. But they were not that flavoring, but still, I said, you're going to take control. Don't let right. these fighters, even with a little tap. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, he gets a little tap and the next time he yeah. starts putting more power so by he, it. He was warning him, a light warning, but... You never know. Yeah, but then something you got to give a strong warning. Then after that, you take a real point. Yeah. And I told McGregor, you start with this kind of nonsense, a point can make a difference. If it goes to a decision, you don't want to have one point deducted. Well, yeah. it, it became a weird soap opera because everybody, of course, wanted to know, can McGregor box? You know, there was anticipation there, and the soap opera became... Who actually won the sparring session, Paulie or Connor? I know outlets were calling you constantly yeah, trying yeah. to get the story. Did you get a sense of who was the better boxer well, in those sessions? I'll tell you that uh, McGregor showed me that he has something that he can he can he can go in there with Mayweather. When I saw him sparring with Paulie, Paulie was two-time world champion, but Paulie was not in no condition mm -hmm. like you know like, right. like McGregor. Yeah, I mean, he's been retired for a little close to a year or so. And he's, uh, you know, a little bit of a father flabby yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he got out there. They gave I mean, they, they, they fought. I mean, there was a war in there. I had to work my tail off. I thought I was in a real fight. Because they got to that, to that level where that, I had to separate these guys. I had to pull time. I had to, you know, stop the action. I said, hey, you guys got to stop all this nonsense. He's getting a little out of no, control, yeah, you know? You, you guys are sparring here. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I said? Now, now that it's all over and done with, I said, you know what? Why don't they get these guys together? Being that McGregor lived up to his part. I mean, he, he got stopped. But you know what? He left the fans satisfied. Yeah. And so much hype went on with that, with that sparring session. Why don't, 
we to get these two guys as well. We might as well make that a fight. Yeah, yeah make it a fight. It won't be as big as May- Mayweather, but it'll be something that the fans will, will buy. Maybe, Joe, they call you out of retirement. Maybe. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll come back. I did it already with these guys. I'll come back and refer these guys. We call it an exhibition. We can do it. Finally here, Joe, we could ask you a hundred questions about the, the big fights you were in. Do you have a story where a fight became a melee or almost became a melee? And I just have a question of what it's like when you're in that middle moment. You don't know if this is going to turn into a, a thing that will end the fight. How do you keep, what's your emotions like in that middle where this could turn into a brawl, the corner men could come in? Do you have a, a go-to story that sort of sums that up? No, I, I've been in a fight. I was in a fight one time where a fighter was hurt, seriously hurt. He was winning the fight again at Robert Wangila the former Olympic champion. And back in 94, I think it was 94, when I first moved out to Vegas, I moved here in 92, and uh, I was doing a main event, a small show, nothing big, it was non-televised. Mm-hmm. And uh, it might have been a local TV, but the thing was that it was a back and forth type of a fight. We got down to the last round, and Warbon Gillard gets hit with an uppercut, and he wobbled a little bit, he grabbed onto his opponent, a fellow by the name of Fernandez. Fernandez pushes him, and then Gila goes to the canvas, I said, no knockdowns, because it was a push. He got up, I cleaned his gloves, I got close to the action, because I know he was a little bit in a concussive episode, mm-hmm. sort of. And when I saw that, he was a little, he got up against the ropes. Fernandez hit him with a left and a right. His hands dropped, his knees buckled, I jumped in and stopped it. The fans were booing me like crazy. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, here we go. And I, I just moved to Vegas, and... I'm already in the fight where these fans are pulling the hell out of me for stopping this contest. Because I thought he was winning. Two of the judges had him hit by one or two points. Mm-hmm. So I stopped the fight, and the doctor comes into the ring. He checks the fighter out. He's okay. And the fighter gets up and jump. But why do you stop the fight? I'm okay. I'm okay. I said, listen, man, I saw something I didn't like. The fans were booing me. I came out of the ring. And some fans said, Joe, what the hell were you watching? Why, why did you stop that fight? Why are you so quick to stop in a fight? And I, I know the fans. I just kept walking. Well, 15 minutes later, they come running out of the dressing room. Robert Gila is in, having seizures. Oh, wow. Okay. Now they called the ambulance back, and they took him to the hospital. And they find out he had a, a massive blood clot in his brain. Okay. And I went to the hospital. After the fight, I went straight to the hospital. And uh, I saw Dr. Campana. And he told me, Joe, after he came out of the emergency surgery room, How's he doing, Doc? He said, Joe, doesn't look good. Wow. Two days later, he died. Wow. You see? So these are the kind of things that sometimes us as referees, we have to uh, confront with the fans who don't like a decision we make. We are trained what science to look for. And sometimes things happen, and you have to hate to see that. We don't want any black guys in boxing. Definitely. Especially because of a referee let it go too long. But then again, that night, they told us to stop it too quick. But I was right. I was right on target. I saw something that they didn't see because I was much closer to the action. But these are the things that we hate to even bring up in conversation. But they're sad. You know, when you see the, the, the wife and the two little girls at the funeral parlor, you know, it, it's sad. It's a brutal, it's a beautiful and brutal sport, yeah. and that, that and, illustrates it. We're in the hurt business, and you know what? We're in the hurt business. I bet my grandchildren want to be fighters. They know, hell no. You know, because I know I was a fighter, and thank God I walked away, you know, yeah. without getting hurt seriously in, in boxing but you see a lot of this happen especially to the old time fighters so now we learn to we go to seminars and we have the doctors that, that teach us what signs to look for when the fighters getting hurt it's a process when he gets dropped and when he's outclassed and how many times you're going to let him get hit before 
you know, you knock him out. We have to see him get knocked out. We know he's gonna he's already on his way out. Let's stop. I'd rather stop at a point too soon than a exactly. point too late. Exactly. Well, Joe, we couldn't thank you enough for being generous to your time. You you've seen it all through a long career. You're still doing great work with ESPN. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, buddy.